This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast, which focuses on playing warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game, but in this episode, specifically at the Las Vegas Open level. I'm your host, Petey Bob, and with me I have Mr. Reese Robbins. Hey, hey. Peter the Falcon flying in from the north. Kaka. And the <laughs> Eldari extraordinaire. Sean Morgan. I don't know if I can call myself extraordinaire after LVO, but I'll take the Eldari. <laughs> Did okay. So, so this is going to be our anticipated Las Vegas Open advanced stats episode. We've been hyping it up ever since we announced that the Las Vegas Open was going to have the standardized list submission. Uh, we've got tons of stats, so many stats, in fact, that we're not going to be able to fit it all into one episode. So if you guys ask nicely, maybe be the Peter will, maybe the Peter, maybe the Falcon will give the patrons and the public more stat analysis. So with chant with me, more stat analysis, more stat analysis. Have you considered switching your nickname to the Peter? Because I think there's something there. <laughs> well, there's, That's, yeah. there's some sexual stuff there that I try to stay away from. <laughs> uh, and, and for those of you who might not be familiar with the competitive 40K, because I know there are a bunch of you who listen just to get more tactics, the Las Vegas Open was a tournament that happened two weekends ago now, because you're listening to this on Tuesday. It was the largest singles 40k event in the world. I, I I can safely, I think, confidently say that. Reese, would you say so? Yeah, it's the the biggest event. That's it's the biggest games workshop uh, event that's ever been held um, of that vein uh, anywhere, anytime. Yes, it's and it's even bigger than uh, the ETC, even when you count every team member individually, isn't it? Oh, oh yeah, way way bigger. Yeah. like the the only event. The only event that was still like uh, competing with the the LVO for attendance was the Adepticon team tournament, which gets up to five hundred, um, and Wish, that was the yeah. only kind of event that that was still in the the ballpark. And this year we we significantly passed that up. Yes, and so so this year we came one Sunday RTT in Pennsylvania away from breaking seven hundred, and that was <laughs> starting starting at the gate round one. So it was a huge accomplishment, and the reason why you should care is because we have data for all the, the top units, the highest performing lists, and much, much more 
from the Las Vegas Open, from the largest 40K singles event in the world. So if you're curious to see how the best of the best are competing from around the world against each other in a high-octane competitive environment, this is not only the episode for you, but the podcast for you. So stay tuned for more of that. But before we get to that, I do have some announcements to make. The first one is check out In the Finest Hour, episode number 13 on Sacrificial Units. Just came out. Sean Abuse Puppy is on that podcast. It is his podcast with Shaylin Allen and Josh Death. It's a great episode on tempo, and um, there's a really cool analysis in there, uh, basically explaining why Brandon Grant wins games despite losing like his Bulgren turn one or his Castle in turn one. It's a really good episode. I highly recommend listening to that. Uh, we don't get a lot of talk about that specific topic, so check that out. Also, if you haven't heard, Brandon Grant won the Las Vegas Open. Congratulations to Brandon Grant. Uh, he is a local hero from San Diego, a good friend, personal friend of mine on my team, my ITC team, Relentless D. Uh, and also, I wanted to give a shout out to all the competitors who made it out. Even uh, attending the Las Vegas Open is a huge accomplishment. And even if you just played all six games, even if you went zeros and six, there's a huge payout uh, in terms of learning and skill cap, just by going all six games and performing at the LVO. So uh, just a shout out to everyone who made it to the Las Vegas Open and was a part of that big spectacle. Speaking of Brandon, uh, Patreon patrons, our patrons get early access to Jeff, Brandon, and Michael Snyder. We talked about uh, our LVO experience, what it takes to make it to the top eight, and what Brandon, Jeff, and Michael are going to be running in the new 2019 ITC season. It's a really, really good episode. It's, for now, exclusive to Patreon members only or standard patrons. However, it will air in a later date to the general public. So you don't have to sign up for Patreon to listen to that episode. But if you want to listen to it early, then get on that. And I'm known to procrastinate, so you might want to just sign up, you know, just in case. And finally, um, speaking of my patrons... I I've decided to give make the first big February giveaway a big one. And so I picked up an exclusive convention Forge World Sanguinous model uh from the Las Vegas Open and it's going to be given out to one lucky patron. So if you'd like to be in the running for that model, all you have to do is sign up to be a standard patron, which is only five dollars a month. So think about it, just give up one Starbucks once for a chance at that awesome Forge World Sanguinous model and not to toot my own horn here, but there are not a lot of patrons, so you have a pretty good chance of winning that model if you sign up now. Now just go to patreon.com slash chapter tactics. Oh, all right. Announcements are over. Uh, before <laughs> we get into the stats, I wanted to talk to each of you just a little bit about your Las Vegas Open experience. Uh, not a lot of people get a chance to go to the Las Vegas Open, despite it being such a large event. Uh, so just a quick roundtable discussion about everyone's LVO experience, what you learned from it, and in Peter's case, what it was like to view it, starting with Reese. Yeah, so um, my experience of it is a little bit different, obviously, than most people. Um, for me, it's it, when the event actually gets going, I, my job is mainly just to kind of help administrate everything and, and to talk to people and kind of schmooze a little bit. Um, so I, I had a ton of fun. Um, the lead up to the event and the breakdown of the event is really difficult, but when I'm there, I get a lot of time to just, just chat with people. So, uh, I had a great time. Um, uh, fortunately slash unfortunately it was my birthday during the event. So, um, I was trying to keep it under wraps, but then everyone got a Facebook notification. So 
Um, thanks to everybody that bought me a beer and all that stuff. It was a really good time. And uh, the payoff for us, all the hard work is it's in seeing how much fun other people have. Um, we work all year on the event to, to try and make it run smoothly. And uh, we take a lot of pride in, in uh, ensuring that everybody that comes has a good time. So there was a lot of payoff emotionally uh, for me and seeing everybody else have have so much fun and to see how well it went considering that we grew almost 40% this year. So yeah, it, it was a blast. Uh, it, it was fun just to stand back and see other people enjoy themselves, see all the dramatic action play out. Um, it, it was very gratifying to see the hard work pay off. Sean, you were, you were there as a participant. Uh, I, I know last year you were in the narrative event, but this year you decided to compete in the, the main event. Um, what was your experience this year versus last year? It's definitely a, a different kind of game playing in the competitive event as opposed to the narrative. Uh, I heard the narrative was a ton of fun. I talked to several of the guys who were in it, and I know several of the guys who help do that stuff. So I heard that was a blast, but competitive is kind of where I live for the most part, and it's what I usually end up doing. Uh, I had a good time. I didn't do nearly as well as I'd hoped. I had some really bad games where I was passing like, you know, six or seven casts over the course of an entire game with eight psychers in the list casting multiple times each. Um, so that was not quite what I was hoping for, but it's what happens. Uh, but I did get to meet a lot of really cool folks. It's always great seeing all of the, the people that you recognize from the internet, all those famous celebrity personas. And we had a bunch of people stop in and congratulate me on being on Chapter Tactics and in the finest hour and said really great stuff about us. So that's always a blast, too. Just meeting all of the fans is a lot of fun. What record did you finish with? I entered 3-3, which I probably could have gotten a 4-2 if I'd tried harder in my last game, but it's it's that sixth game. You know you're not really going to do anything. I'm already out of the running for anything real in terms of awards, so it's hard to push too hard at that point. Hey, and good on you for sticking through six rounds. Uh, I know how difficult it is to play those, especially day two, if you go into day two with a couple losses. Yeah, and I don't know, I always I always feel like if I'm there, like, why would I not play all the rounds if I'm already there? Uh, even if I'm not going to win anything, I still want to get those games in against players I've never got to play with before and against armies that I've never seen before. And I think that's that's the real reason I go, is I want to meet people, I want to play games, and hopefully I do well, but even if I don't, then I'm still coming to play games. And finally, Peter the Falcon was surveying the internet landscape while we were all working our butts off or playing our butts off, depending on who you ask. Peter, what was it like watching it on stream? Um, it was a, it was a really good time. Uh, lucky for me, uh, well, depending on what your view of luck is, um, the great people at uh, Best Coast Pairings had sent me um, all of the list data. So I was hard at work pumping out stats, basically the entire LVO. So <laughs> I had the stream on in the background. And um, I'd occasionally switch over, chit-chat with the people in Twitch, uh, listen to Fr uh, Jeff and Frankie provide that, like, awesome, awesome coverage, and um, and really get to see some, like, incredible games being played. Um, two or three of them in particular, just... Uh, like just exactly what I want out of a out of a Warhammer stream. Like you learn so much watching guys like Sean Naden or Brandon Grant play. So it mm -hmm. it was a good time. Like I really enjoyed myself. And if you want to catch those games, Reese, those are still on the GW Twitch stream, correct? 
Yeah, you can see all the Age of Sigmar games on um, Frontline Gaming's Twitch, and then for GW, um, I believe you have to be a subscriber, but you know <laughs> you can subscribe for a very small amount of money, and then you can access all of those games. Yeah, nice. So that was it. If you'd like to attend next year's Las Vegas Open, sign up for FrontlineGaming.org's newsletter. I highly recommend it. Um, at the pace we're going, we could maybe even hit a thousand players in the next couple of years, which would which would be insane. <laughs> that's, <laughs> That'd be that's crazy. crazy. It's it's totally doable. After this year, seeing we because we got up to eight oh eight at the max registration, so the thousand person tournament, it's totally. I, n- I never thought it. I always thought it was a pipe dream, but now I'm like, yeah, it's it's not only is it possible, I think it's inevitable. Um, mm-hmm. It's really just finding. Um, because the hall, the the 40k hall, was f- maxed out, right? Um, so it, we'd have to spill into the other hall or find a bigger venue. But uh, the thousand person tournament is it, it's going to be reality within a few years. Yeah, I would I would not be surprised in the slightest. And for those of you who are not or thinking like, oh, that's not for me, you know, like I'm not good enough to play in that. There's players of all skill levels coming to LVO, uh, playing in not only the the competitive event, but also the the narrative event and the other stuff they have going on. There's a lot there for players of any kind. There's fantastic painting classes. There's all kinds of stuff. Yeah, all there's right. something for everybody. Like uh, the, the 40K friendly almost doubled in size. And it's only two games. It's only two games per day, four hour rounds. Uh, It's it's like old school combined score. Um, Like you said, there's something for everybody. And even if you want to play Mm -hmm. in the championships, the vast majority of people there just to have fun. Like the guy that got the wooden spoon, his whole army (laughs) was a single uh, scout uh, warhound titan. Yeah. And when he when he was like, "Can I bring it?" I'm like, "Yeah, of course you can, man. It's a legal list." I was like, "I don't think you're going to win that many games." He's like. I came here to blow shit up and have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, awesome. That guy has mad props from me because that that is a list that just goes all in right away. Next year we should give out a wooden warhound or war scout <laughs> scout titan for the wooden like spoon. an adeptus titanicus one sprayed gold. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, the wooden spoon and yeah. in memoriam. All right, in memoriam, I love it. <laughs> Let's let's go ahead and get on to this uh, stat analysis. Uh, before we do, I want to give Peter the Falcon a special shout out. He spent tons of hours working on this data. Uh, you know, he undersold it a little bit, but every time I talked to him, he was like, "Oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. I'm I'm doing this data." <laughs> and he pulled a uh, an immense amount of data for us, and it's cool. And I'd like to not only dedicate this episode to him, but also dedicate patrons who want to support the channel specifically in the name of Peter. So if you have been thinking about supporting the channel or supporting the podcast, I should say, and you want your monthly proceedings to go directly to Peter, all you have to do is sign up for Patreon and then just say, this is for the Falcon, and I will give all of that money directly to Peter so he can maybe take his family out for a nice dinner, buy a new laptop after his laptop is smoking, I don't know, whatever. (laughs) I I doubt you'll be able to buy a new laptop, Peter. However, uh, I would like to dedicate... What, whatever the patrons want to give to you this month. Pablo. So if you guys want to do that. I know I got him. He he didn't expect it. He's like, <laughs> no, I don't want you guys to do anything for me. But I got him out Canadian, the Canadian. <laughs> well, you're getting a box of coffee crisps for Christmas this year instead of ketchup oh, no. chips. Oh, no. Ketchup <laughs> chips. All right. <clears throat> so uh, on to the stat analysis. The first analysis we're going to talk about is the faction analysis. Uh, 
the reason why I want to talk about the faction analysis is it's because I feel like it's what everyone really uh, reverberates to or kind of uh, associates themselves with. Uh, it, it's a hard sometimes to look at player names and, and, you know, get behind them, but it's very easy for players to get behind a faction that they love. And so we're going to start with the faction analysis. Uh, first and foremost, which faction, Peter, which factions were the most represented and which ones were maybe, maybe not the the best represented or maybe maybe people didn't want to bring them because they didn't feel like they'd win very well sure yeah we can talk about that real quick so uh, we talked about this well i think you talked about this uh, about two episodes ago um the there were uh, some slight changes um after that episode because we, we there were some last minute dropouts some very last minute people register and show up um knights and guard were the the top two uh, lists um, Imperial Knights showed up in 9.8% of the uh, percent of the primary lists, and Guard showed up in 9.5%. Um, in total, the, the two of them together made up uh, about 20, about 30% of all lists had either Guard or Knights in them, or both. Um, next up, we had Orcs at 8%, um, and then Drukhari at 7 in terms of uh, lists that, uh, that that didn't really come out to play, in terms of primaries, uh, Blood Angels and Gene Steeler Cults were were kind of the the two low balls. Uh, Gene Steeler Cults, of course, hadn't had their codex yet, um, so so there's a little bit to go there. And Blood Angels have kind of been on this uh, decline for months and months, uh, so so none of this was unexpected. Uh, Sisters of Battle showed up one point three three six percent of the time of the lists. Grey Knights showed up one point five. And most of the rest were in like a three to five percent, um, in terms of representation. Okay, <clears throat> were there any factions that were not represented at all at the Las Vegas Open? No, everybody, mm-hmm. everybody was there, uh, unless uh, except maybe Sisters of Silence, if you want to count them. So, yeah. uh, so GW, if you're listening, um, I'm not going to say I own sixty or seventy Sisters of Silence, <laughs> but I might. <laughs> and I would love to bring them to a tournament and and actually have an HQ for them. Just throwing yeah, that out there. Yeah, they just need that HQ. Yeah, if you want to make Janisha Kroll, I know you don't, you but can I, like, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. 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 Come on. <laughs> Live the dream. And, and, anyway. And, and so one quick note on diversity. Um <clears throat> the top eight was obviously not diverse. There, there no, were it was my darkest factions. timeline. <laughs> but... Uh, I'd like to take a brief moment to talk about the top 62. Uh, and the reason why that number is important is because each of those players went 5-1 and one at the Las Vegas Open. Or better. Or better. Um, and that's important because I feel like going 5-1 and one at the Las Vegas Open was a lot of people's, you know, you know, kind of aspirations or dreams. Everyone I talked to was like, oh, I just want to at least get a winning record, which is 4-2. Um, which means that 5-1 and one is for a player to show up the Las Vegas Open is, is a good record. It's something that I think they could be very proud of and something that they should be very proud of. So, those top 62 all went 5-1 and one or better. And out of all of those players and all of those lists, only one codex was not represented in some form. That was those poor, poor Grey Knights who we've been talking about yeah. since September as uh, as being a really bad, maybe even since before September, um... You know, as as a subpar codex, unfortunately, they're just not performing very well. Um, so they they're the only codex that didn't make the top sixty two, but every other codex was represented, which which I think is is huge for diversity. Um, which which means 
a person who who goes to the Las Vegas Open and not only competes for their best in faction for the ITC, also has a real shot at making the top eight. Because if you go six and zero, you make the top eight. So if you go five and one with Necrons or Admech or Gene Circle, Index Gene Circle, mind you, you've got one. You could just have to win one more game before you make it to the top eight, which is which I think is huge. So even though the top eight wasn't so diverse, the top sixty-two represents a real diversity in in overall diversity i guess i should say um except for gray knights except for poor gray knight players i'm sorry yeah essentially everybody had some kind of representation um if you look at primary factions blood angels also didn't didn't have anybody make it but they did have a few lists that brought their smash captains or um well actually just the smash captains but that like still (laughs) they're still quite good um i mean if we if we want to break that down a little a little more in depth um of course your top uh Represented in the top 62 were Inari, uh, Knights, and uh, Astra Militarum. And then you have Drukari, which when you look at their like their overall win rate, when we cover that later, you wouldn't think it. Um, but they've been a, a top performing faction for a long time. They've just been below Inari. So it's not super surprising that almost 10%, uh, like basically six of the lists uh, were Drukari. Then you have Chaos Demons coming in at almost uh, at 6.5%. Um Admech, Tau, everybody's in there. Everybody has at least a list with the, with those two exceptions. And, and I think that's that's an indication of a relatively balanced meta. Like there's a couple outliers and once those get corrected, you hope that it doesn't create a hole uh, that gets filled by something crazy we just didn't expect. But um, I think the game's getting really close to being where it needs to be. Yeah, I think you can realistically say that there are what, like, two factions that need to be brought down, maybe three, and then the game is in a pretty balanced place, which, like, a lot of the 8th edition players or people who came back to the game after 8th edition started are kind of complaining about how unbalanced it is, but for anyone who played 6th or 7th, that's basically a miracle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we shouldn't fall into that top 8 LVO fallacy of um, the game being undiverse, because it's... And let's let's not forget, Nick Notavati didn't make the top eight. Like top eight is not the be all end all of this whole thing. That's yeah, there there were some extremely good players that got knocked out early, um, and just because of matchups or luck of the draw. Like uh, there's a lot of guys that talked about, oh, you know, I failed that one charge, the one I needed, and it was a four, and I rerolled. Um, and it, like that's the nature of the game, especially in a 660, 70 person tournament. Um, mm-hmm. That's you know that many rounds deep. You, you try to create a list that will that will you know mitigate some of those quote unquote disasters, but it's going to happen. You're going to have one of those games where, like Sean, you you roll yeah. eight <laughs> times and you roll like you know four double ones um, mm-hmm. on your psychic tests. I had a farseer die to triple perils. So see, um, like, that's just what a, happens. You have a two up to ignore that, and it's just like, no, I think I'm going to take five wounds and die. Yeah. <laughs> so such is life, right? Yeah. So like, there's a. The game is really close, and when we go over the overalls, you see it too. There's so many factions in that 48 to 52 percent win rate um, that, like, it's it's really it's almost stellar to me. Like, I think we're getting mm-hmm. there. We're just so close. Like you said, Sean, two or three factions maybe need a little bump down. Two or three factions need a little bit of a, a bump up, and then we're I think we're 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 almost where we need to be. Yeah, and it's well, just about like fiddling to make the lists themselves more diverse rather than the factions. 
Right. Well, and the unfortunate reality is that bringing some of the weak factions up is going to be harder than bringing some of the strong factions sure. down. Uh, but the plus side, GW did announce in response to one of the questions that they were going to be doing updated codices, uh, including explicitly Grey Knights. So I think there are a lot of people crossing their fingers on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you... That's a really good point. I wanted to go back, Peter. You had mentioned that there's a lot of armies batting in the 48 to 52 percent range, and a lot of people hear that and they might go, "I want my faction to be better than that." But like, that's literally the mm-hmm. definition of balance. Yeah, that's what yeah. you want. That's right. Like anything over 53 in my eyes and below 47, those are the factions you need to take a look at and say why. Like they probably mm-hmm. need something, um, and sometimes they don't. Like um, we'll talk about a couple of them. Like Thousand Suns did very poorly at LVO, but I don't think they're a bad faction at all. In fact, after no. Beta Bolter rules, they got much better, and they were scary for a long time. It's just the list that people took them in changed to be more Chaos Demon oriented. Is all we're seeing with that, um, and I think that'll change again. It's yep. it's just like a flavor of the month thing for them. Um, so there's going to be some factions that under or overperform um, just based off of the meta at that time, right? So mm-hmm. Yeah, T- Tyranids are in that boat too. Uh, and we're going to talk about Tyranids and, and Admech and a couple other factions a little bit more in detail. Um, but let's go ahead and talk about um, which factions did the absolute best, which ones were out of that top <laughs> 62 most likely uh, going to win you the game. Uh, and then let's talk some T-Whip. And for those of you who don't know, Peter, explain T-Whip. Uh, T-Whip is uh, tournaments and winning position. So it's a statistic that I give all kudos to Val Heffelfinger for uh, creating. I just did the work to figure out how to calculate it. Um, it's And it's very simple. It's, it's just a breakdown of um, every list that got to at least 4 and 0. Um, because generally in a major tournament, uh, something like LVO, you could probably say 5-0 and instead. But uh, if you break that 4-0 mark, you're in a position to win the whole thing. Because um, generally you can do three – you can have a really uh, quote-unquote crap list, um, get three wins. You just – luck of the draw, you play against – all three matches are against guys that you – like lists that you can just easily beat without thinking twice – but that fourth match is generally where, you know, the, um, I don't know what a metaphor is. Uh, Reese, say something about steam. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so like that fourth match generally is the the deal breaker. So um, yeah. we calculate T-Whip. We look at like the percent of the field that a, a faction was, and then we compare it to the percent of the, of the field that made it to 4-0 and o that that faction was. And you get a really good idea of if that, if that faction shows proper balance. So, and we'll talk about it a little later, but if I give an example of Imperial Knights, you know, they were just under 10% of the field, um, and they made up 12% of the factions that uh, made it to 4-0. So that's a sign of a relatively balanced uh, faction. If you look at, say, maybe they need a little bit of tweak, but but you look at Inari, they were, you know, just over 6% of the field, but they made up 18 almost percent of the, the lists that went to 4-0. Okay. They probably need something looked at, right? Yeah, maybe it has something to do with that, like, 67% win percentage they've been sporting over the past six months. Well, for a while, you know, they they, yeah. they slowly dropped, but, you know. What, are yeah, they down they, to, like, 63 now? 60-ish. <laughs> They're still good. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's weird. In a, in a game with finite actions, yeah, uh, a, a faction that gets more actions, believe it or not, guys, it's pretty good. It's weird. Yeah. Taking two, tur- <laughs> taking two turns in a row is good. Don't tell GW. I know. It's like, let's play football where you get four downs and I get seven. 
Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's yeah. very forgiving, especially if you know, like, and one thing I, sh- I well, need to say when we yeah. talk about Inari is like, and we, we've said it before, but just t- to make sure nobody gets like their panties in a bunch, Inari isn't an easy faction to play. Like you can't no. just pick it up and win. But if you're a good player, if you're like a Sean Naden, because if you watch that Sean Naden Brandon Grant match, you can see some heavy shenanigans going on where Je- even Jeff and mm-hmm. Frank, you're like, he made a big mistake there. And then two seconds later, they're like, oh yeah, Soul Burst. Never mind. No, that's exactly the play he needed to make. Right. And that like happened <laughs> yeah. over and over. Um, so, so like if, if you have that hyper awareness that a lot of players do, um, when you get to this level, like it's just, it makes that faction broken is the problem, right? Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a faction for a master of the game. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and in terms of faction win percentages, Inari were the only faction to break a 60% win percentage at the Las Vegas open, which is actually really big. An average faction yeah. score of 60% is crazy. Um, but other than that, you know, looking at a lot of the other factions, a lot of the factions were hovering around that forty-eight to fifty-two percent win percentage. Yeah. With with Azuryani being, which is what Eldar Soup Azuryani. Uh, no, Azuryani is basic Eldar Craft World. Eldar. Craft World. Craft okay. World, Eldar, Craft World yeah. Eldar getting to fifty-seven percent, which is really high. Uh, and but that's then, because um, they were allied to Inari. Right, Dark days. Eldar fifty-five percent. There was a lot of players bringing a Craft World's primary that had, you know, 995 points or 960 points or whatever of Yanari behind it. Yeah. Yeah. So yes. let's do a quick breakdown of that. So you look, um, like like Pablo said, if we go by primaries, Inari were, were tops. We, Corsairs were technically tops, so I'm not going to count them because it was <laughs> two lists and only one of them did I list as a primary faction. So kudos to Jessica Bowman for going four and two with uh, Corsairs. But um, – Inari, uh, 59.91% as a, as a primary faction, uh, the tops mm-hmm. by far. Um, they were the tops, actually, in all positive statistics, uh, like best primary VP, best against. Uh, they just they were uh, heavily dominant. Um, then we have Imperial Knights at second, 55.48% win percentage. Um, the, the difference here is where the wins happen. If you look at like the, the average first round loss, Inari was almost round three on average. It was like 2.9 and mm-hmm. um, Imperial Knights was almost dead on for round two. Um, so th- while they did win the majority of their games, they their first loss happened earlier. Um, and then you have Admech. And this is a big, I wouldn't say it's a big surprise given the changes from chapter approved. Where'd but they it's come f- from? Exactly. Because <laughs> before, incredible. for a long time, for a long time, they were in like the 48 to 50% win rate. Like they, they looked like a relatively balanced list, but they weren't winning anything, especially after the Stygies changes. Um, but bam. 53% win rate. Um, mm-hmm. They had multiple players in the top uh, 62 we were talking about. And, uh, Justin Lois with the Admech primary made it to the quarterfinals. Yeah. Um, or semis, didn't he? Uh, it doesn't matter. He, he oh, made it, he made it to the ghost round. So No, jo- yeah. oh, no he, I'm sorry. Justin Lois was the Castellanos at the Admech. Yeah, he yes, got to yeah. quarterfinals. But, he, so he there, but still. So so actually, I have a fun story about uh, Admech that, that I'd like to share with everyone. So I, sure. uh, for those of you who don't know, I creep around the top tables in the rounds five and six of the Las Vegas Open, just kind of get the narrative. And round six, there were two Adeptus Mechanicus players playing right next to each other, sitting at five and zero, oh, playing for best Admech. And both mm-hmm. of their armies were gorgeous. You can actually, I think I, if you go to the Facebook stream on Frontline Gaming, I, I'm pretty sure I live streamed some of it uh, on Facebook. So it, it it's just it's funny because you see these two beautiful Admech players or beautiful Admech armies. Uh, the players weren't too bad. The players were either. probably hot too. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then their armies are gorgeous, and they're both five and zero, oh, which is they're pure Admech, which is crazy. No Castellans, no guard, 
and they're playing for best admic and they're playing right next to each other like their armies are 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 right next to each other. It was so cool to watch. Unfortunately, neither one of them won. <laughs> but <laughs> if either one of them had, they they would have either made the top eight or made the ghost run to make it into the top eight, uh, which is huge for a faction that really hasn't seen the limelight. Um, and no, I would not say for that a long, long time. Yeah, and I would say that chapter approved. Uh, I'd say that Space Marines and Adeptus Mechanicus are the big winners of Chapter Approved 2019, with maybe Tau coming in as an honorary mention, because Tau did get better. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah uh, Peter, I, I, I would say Chapter Approved did its job. Good. Can, can you, what's what's the numbers on Space Marines? How are they looking these days? I was just about to ask that. So regular Space Marines, yeah. um, they did go up. So one thing, like when, when I'm going to talk about some of these stats, it it's good. Uh, it's a good idea to look at where they were. So, Space Marines coming into LVO for um, consistently in the high thirty percentile for win rate. So, like thirty eight, thirty nine percent. That's it. Um, they came out of LVO at a forty six. That's a significant boost. It's yeah. a giant boost. Um, and uh, I mean, they did have somebody almost make the top eight. Aaron Towler was technically eighth place, but uh, he mm-hmm. got bumped out in the. Um, in the uh, round six point five, the ghost round, yeah, um, and he, he had, had a, a, a interesting list, and he's he's been winning a lot. Like at ATC, he smashed people with it, and he's won. He won it, or no, it was like the Glass City um, GT. A guy with the yeah. exact same list won yep. it, and yep. it's also showed up in Australia as well as in the ETC and some other places. Yeah, a lot of people are trying to make their like their variation of it. And I talked to a couple players um, after LVO. That have either played Aaron or talked or like talked to him about the strategy behind it, and I can see like how it works. When uh, it was really funny because Pablo before LVO was like Aaron Towler is going to do amazing. I drafted yep. him, and I was like uh, Pablo, like his list looks real weird. I've seen it before, <laughs> but I'm not sure how it's going to do against you know say the Castellan list if it goes up against a good player with it. Yeah. Um, and a he never played it, so that that helped him. Take but, that, Pablo. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, um, like, I mean, he did go 6-0, and and um, I was talking to, like I said, I was talking to some people that played against it, and he does very well against the Castle list with it, mainly because people um, are very bad at target priority, um, huh. right? He says it's, that oftentimes yeah. they go after the Predators, because, like, that's the thing that's going to kill their Castellan, yeah. and it's the Repulsors that do all the work in that list, right? Because it yeah. kills all your infantry. Well, yeah. the, the Predators with the Stratagem are absolutely devastating, so... I don't think it's a bad idea to to kill him. I mean, when you have like uh, the heavy bolt, he's the, he does the heavy bolter auto cannon versions, and uh, yes, yeah, it's savage. And of course, Bobby G makes everything go from exactly. mediocre yeah. to outstanding. To mental, yeah. yeah. So uh, another cool thing about Space Marines, before we go continue on the admec trend, is um they had a higher T whip than these factions. I'm gonna name a couple factions: uh, Adeptus Custodes, Craftworld Eldar, Death Watch. Tau, Thousand Sons, and Tyranids, all factions that were and are consistently better performers than Space Marines, but Space Marines outperformed them in terms of a T-Whip percentage, the higher T-Whip. Uh, yeah, they had three guys factions, go go 4-0. Right, which which uh, is really, really good. And, and really I think, good for them in general, yeah. Yeah, and Space Marines are an interesting spot right now where I, other than Reese, who I think has figured out the list, no one else has figured out the list for Space Marines. <laughs> It, it it's true because I think Reese's list space marine list is the best space marine list I've seen so far. I've um, been absolutely smashing people it, with yes. it. Is it, it white scars? No, it's ultramarines. No. 
Yeah. Oh, so, well, okay. Is it, I really uh, want someone to make white scars work better. Is it that one that you were using uh, back come Nova and that or something it's similar? A, it's a better version of the one that I took to the – I was got 15th at Nova. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, I don't want to derail it, Pablo, too much. Do you want to – do you mind if I – I don't I don't mind. I yeah. think people would love to hear. Yeah, it's well, – it's, I love to I, – I like to be the 40K hipster and play armies that people say are bad. It's just <laughs> – I, I get a great sense of satisfaction out of that. Like I was so juiced to play my orcs. I was waiting so long. I was like, oh, they're so good. And then everybody jumped on the orc bandwagon. I'm like, dang it, now I can't play them. <laughs> but uh, um, my space green list, it's uh, it's a brigade um, smash captain on a bike who I will I'll bang that drum all damn day. Oh, it's quite uh, good. He's so good. Oh, he's so good. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Tiggy, Tellian, five units of five sniper scouts, one yeah. unit of ten veteran intercessors, and I cannot I cannot mm. stress enough. How magical veteran intercessors are there. What what gun do you run on them? The basic uh, bolt rifle, because okay. you use the stratagem to make them shoot twice. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, it's so ridiculous. Yeah. It is hammers. so ridiculous. They shoot 40 AP1 shots with 30-inch range, and mm-hmm. G-Man fist pumping behind them. Yep. They'll, they'll kill, like, I'll, I will literally, you split fire and you'll kill, like, a ridiculous amount of units. You'll kill, clear everybody's screens. They have three attacks each. They charge into combat. They'll kill. I've, I've had them take out 60 boys in one wow. turn. Yeah. Because um, they shoot one unit, annihilate it, charge another unit, beat the shit out of it in combat. Yeah. Um, and then uh, it's mm-hmm. Victrix Honor Guard, who are absolutely stellar. They're ridiculously good. Um, Relic uh, Banner for the three up to act again. Yeah. Apothecary, again, the Apothecary is stupid good, especially when he brings one of the Vicatrix Honor Guard back to life, mm, brings a Veteran yeah. Intercessor back to life. Um, three by three Scout Bikers with a Stormbolter on Sarge. Yep. I, I don't understand why every Space Marine player in the world does not have Scout Bikers. They're, the Scout Bikes <laughs> are so good. They're like they're, Death Watch, but cheaper. They're stupidly efficient, and they move 16 inches. Yeah. Like, they're so good. And then uh, I have three Devastator Squads. Um, two heavy bolters, three heavy bolters, uh, heavy bolter missile launcher, all with a cherub, and they're there just to do mortal wounds. Yep. Um, and then a thunderfire cannon and, uh, yeah. and G-Man. It's, that sounds disgusting. It's yep. savage. If a character shows their face, they get shot with 25 sniper rifles, re-rolling hits and wounds. Like, routinely, a single unit of, of scout snipers will kill a five-wound model. Like, yeah. in one, sh- one volley. Just... I, and then I if play... they don't... Yeah, Tellian finishes him off. (laughs) Yeah, it's like for anyone who's never been on the receiving end of snipers with rerolls to wound, it's gross. It's and like even like knights and stuff go down to it. Yeah, I can kill a Castellan in two shooting phases between the um, the mortal wounds from the Devastator squads and the snipers. Mm -hmm. They'll kill a Castellan in two turns, and even if I go second and I'm getting shot because of the banner, I'm returning fire. Like, I'll yeah. do as much damage to my opponent in his shooting phase as he does to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, to go back on track. Um, the, <laughs> no, no, that was good. Sorry if I went great. too long no, no, into it. No, no, it's, that's it's perfect. Um, the, the reason why I love the Space Marine faction right now where it's at is I feel like multiple kinds of lists can be really competitive. You don't necessarily have to be Ultramarines like Aaron Towler's list or Reese Robbins' list. We've seen like a random Imperial Fists list win. Uh, we, I've seen um, uh, some Raven Guard lists do really well. Uh, it's, it, 
it's really a wide open faction right now for what you want to do. And I like the direction Games Workshop is going, especially with chapter approved and the bolter rules. So, so Space Marine players, I, I feel like the faction is coming back, making a comeback, but in a different way, not like we're not, you know, crutching on Castellans or anything. So it's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. Anyways, back to Admech. Um, Peter, was there anything else you wanted to add about Admech? Well, we can talk a little bit more later, like about like where they. Well, you know what? Let's just do it right now. So I, I did a really pretty intensive deep dive of all of the factions, um, Admech in particular. Um, so you know, as I said, normally they hover between that forty-eight and fifty percent win rate. They generally don't do well on the T whip side. Um, it's been a long time, basically since the Stygies nerf. Uh, which I don't know if it's been it's a nerf any longer, but there was a period where people took it as that. Um, th- like they've they've struggled, but they have two really awesome visualist detachments that uh, saw a lot of play at LVO, um, and they had these point reductions in chapter approved. So of the twenty three players that brought Admech as a primary, uh, three of them went five or one five and one or better, and uh, six had uh, the, uh, six of them scored either uh, four one and one or four and two. Um, they averaged uh, 23.52 uh, primary victory points, which is a pretty healthy number. Funnily enough, they actually got scored on more, but it's because when you look at their lower end players, they, they got devastated. Like the, the guys that went zero and six or one and five, <laughs> like it, the average, the averages were, were very poor. So it really skewed their uh, primary versus opposing VP. Um, eight of the uh, Admech players brought a Castellan. And they had a, a 56% win rate, just over 56. Um, so they they actually bumped the the average score up by about 1.3, 1. 1.34%. Uh, um, sorry, 2.34%. No, 1.3. My math is terrible all of a sudden. Um, the top performing Admech list uh, unit uh, was the Catafron Destroyer. It showed up in 11 lists. Um, everybody, people were bringing roughly a unit of, uh, most people brought a unit of six, a couple people brought less, some brought more. Um, and they did very well against, uh, some very good factions, um, against, uh, Craftworld Eldar. They were seven and two, um, at LVO and they were 10 and one against Tyranids. They absolutely <laughs> made Tyranids their, their bitch, like to be completely honest. They just tore them to pieces. Um, where they struggled, they struggled against Denari. They went one and five against Denari. They went two and six against Orcs, and they went two and seven against Drukari. So uh, the 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 other Eldar, the non-craft world, they didn't really do very well. And then really across the board, the rest they were in that fifty to sixty percent win rate. Um, they they just they outperformed how they've how like how they've uh, how they've been the last three or four months. They they did an excellent job, and a lot of it I'm going to say was based on these vigilist detachments because most of these players that did extremely well brought one or the other. Yeah, well, and let's not forget the other thing that comes in from chapter approved either is they now have incredibly cheap and efficient HQs and troops, yes. and that's exactly what you want. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible to see the Catafron who went from being a joke to featuring as one of the all-star units. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's, I think that's testament because you hear a lot of people complaining about, uh, it's annoying that now that you have to have all these books. And I'm like, hey, look, Chapter Approved took what was one of the poorest performing factions and now they're center stage. Yeah. And um, that that's the benefit, right? Like, Yeah. We don't have a digital rule set at this point in time, but um, chapter proved is the, is the, the, the best thing we have going. And I think it's great. 
I mean, yep. we we can have digital rule sets if you want them. That's what I do these days. Is I don't want to carry around six books, so I just bring a tablet yeah, but, and download them. But yeah. regardless, and, and I mean, I didn't mention the Catafront Breacher. It only showed up in three lists. It's the only reason why I didn't really I didn't really talk it up in in my breakdown. It had a seventy percent win rate. The, so the three lists that brought it um, fared even better. But over three lists, who knows? Like if you bring in, in, in three more, maybe it ends up at a twenty percent because the other three guys like just get <laughs> trashed. But um, yeah, Catafrons were a big, big, big hit for the um, for Admech and the the Castlin robot, which a lot of people were talking up after chapter approved. I mean, when it mm-hmm. when the book first came out, it was huge. After it kind of died down because people kind of got the joke and and started just tying it up and wrecking it. Um, it didn't perform as well as a lot of people expected. Uh, if I bring that up real quick. A lot of people were running them as the shooty version, which I think after talking to some of the Admech guys at the tournament is the wrong call. Um, all punchy with the that plus three inch charge stratagem is, is amazing. Yeah. They hit, like uh, I've been saying that the punchy bots are good all edition and people have been laughing at me. And it, I, I was just like, just tr- put them on the table and try it. They hit like a truck and they're really tough. And now with the, with the uh, detachment, it's like, yeah, I just think the, give it a shot. The big difference yeah. is like needing a six inch charge off the drop is absolutely achievable on a regular basis. You dedicate that command point to it and you're gonna get it most of the time. And like Reese says, they'll kill most anything they touch. Like orcs, yeah, no, they're gonna get dragged down by orcs eventually. But like a, a castellan knight, they'll kill in one go. Mm. Yeah. So fifty point nine percent win rate for the castellan robots. The reason why that's important is because it is below what the like the average um admech um army brought which is you know something big the the worst performing unit actually was the cybernetic adatasmith six people brought it 37 percent win rate <laughs> so don't bring that guys you got a lot, a lot of ways around it now you don't really need them anymore um yeah all right so from a deep dive into a rising faction or a faction on the rise, I want to deep dive into another faction. And this will be the only other faction that we deep dive into. Um, if you guys want to know more about specific factions, which I'm sure you do, uh, sign up for our Patreon where you can either A, bombard the Falcon with questions on our Chapter Tactics Patreon group on Facebook, or B, we'll get out some ex- exclusive content there. Um, but <clears throat> Tyranids... So, so Admech are on the rise, going crazy, but Tyranids have been in steady decline since Knights came out, and I, I feel like the LVO was, was kind of like the final nail in the coffin. They had an awful win percentage, uh, they, they barely represented themselves in, in the 5-1 and one in the top 62. Uh, Peter, what's going on with Tyranids? Okay. Um, well... Tyranids have kind of been a middling performer for a long time. They've been in a spot, and I think Jeff uh, talked this up, I don't know, six or seven episodes ago, maybe even more, uh, where he said the thing about Tyranid players is um, there's, you know, uh, there's a handful of really good ones, but for every really good Tyranid player that knows their book and plays it well, there's like five or six that don't. Um, and they all bring the same list now, uh, especially in the North American side. If you look at, when you start tracking lists in uh, like Europe or Australia, they're all bringing these much more diverse lists. But here in North America, it's it's always it's almost always the same like template. It's um, Swarm Lord, probably Old One Eye, um, forty to sixty Gene Stealers, a squad of uh, Hormagonts. And a squad of hive guard, and then you you ally in some gene stealer cults, um, and that's kind of been the thing that everybody's been doing, and it just didn't work out at LVO. Um, you had a lot of players 
teching for orcs because orcs were the big scary thing coming in. They'd had really good win rates out of a ton of uh, GTs just prior to LVO. And when you're teching to beat a horde army that moves really fast and you come against up against a, another horde army that you've probably played a lot more because Tyranids have been around long enough that moves really fast, like, like a lot of the same tech works. Um, and they just, they got kind of thrashed. Um, generally they've hovered in that 45, seven to 50% win rate, but they were still getting GT and major wins recently. Um, a, a number of top four showings. Um, but at LVO, they made up just over 5% of the field, which is normal. They only had a win rate of 42.5%, 42.48. They scored an average of 22.35 victory points and they were scored on 24.74 on average, which is the second worst of all factions. Um, the only one that, that did worse was their their brothers, the Gene Steeler Colts, um, who actually still performed better, even though they were scored against like nobody's business. Um, two Tyranid primary players went five and one. Four of them went uh, four and two. Um, there was not a single Tyranid unit I could find that really upped Nid scores. Um, that was one thing I tried to do. I counted every model in every list and I tagged them just to see like how they performed. Only the Broodlord had a win rate over 50%. And that was because of the Gene Stiller cult lists it was in. Um, when you remove those, it sat at a 49% um, for Tyranid primary. Um, so when you look at Peter, oh, sorry. What, uh, specifically, how did Tyranids do against Knights? Cause they are so vulnerable to Knights. Like the Castellan kills mm. any of their big bugs with, horrible ease and the gallant so, kicks the shit out of all the little bugs yeah so they didn't they did they did very poorly against just about everybody eh. um so they had a 42 percent win rate against uh knights 42.86 where they really struggled uh was admech which we already mentioned they won one and lost 10 against tau they were five and ten against anari they were three and nine um and they like they were they lost all their matches against Space Wolves and Space Wolves has been a long underperforming uh, army, <laughs> so like like the, it just wasn't a good scene at LVO for Nids. They did do decently well against uh, Craftworld Eldar. They were four and one against Craftworld Eldar, um, and most other power uh, armor factions they won you know but uh, two of their three matches or or the, uh, the only match they played right. Um, so so nothing statistically significant, um, but yeah. Uh, they also, they also got thrashed by orcs. Like, there was just... It wasn't a good show. So, I would like to add that they did do well against Astaroltar with a 54% win percentage oh, sorry. against yes. they the, did the probably the second most represented... Fa- oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, it, it's interesting because, A, I found Reese's uh, primary faction for the 2019 season um, when people start copying his Space Marine list. And... B, <laughs> they did so well at CanCon. Um, well, yes. I guess not they. Mm. The, one particular player did phenomenally well at CanCon. Oh, um, no, Nidza <clears throat> as a whole did very well yeah. at CanCon. Right, um, which, it, which is interesting because they played the same missions. The terrain didn't look dramatically different than what you saw. There, there, it's there a lot of like, ITC terrain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not It's well, not like – so So I think the the Australian guys – I think they're they're horde meta. I think they just understand the faction better. And I wish well, more Australian guys had came out. <laughs> okay, but here's the other half of that. You got to remember the context. A lot of the guys who were playing Nids and doing well with them didn't bring Tyranids. They brought Gene Steeler Colt. They brought something else. Yeah, uh, Colin Sherman, who 
did went like 28 and one over the course of a bunch of tournaments with his Tyranids didn't bring Tyranids. Same for a bunch yeah. of the other Tyranid guys. Like they're moving to other factions because it's something Talon has talked about and I 100% agree on is they are an army that does not forgive mistakes at yes. all. No. If you screw something I was gonna up, mention. you lose. But if you don't screw up, you win. Uh, they're much like Yanari and that they can just race around and do stuff and there's not very much the opponent can do about it. But all you have to do is make one tiny mistake, have one model half an inch to the wrong direction, and the game is over for you. And, yeah. it's and so that was something I wanted to mention. Um, like, the, there was a fellow that emailed me a, a few weeks back specifically to say that. He's like, I, I've gone to three tournaments recently. Um, I won one of them, and they were all GTs. And then he finished, like, second last in, in the next two. And mm-hmm. and it's and it's like... And, He's a definitely a good player. I have all sorts of stats on him, so I know he plays very well. And it's just sometimes you get bad matchups or the terrain doesn't work out for you because it is a very finicky army. I think the yeah. problem with Nids, other than the fact that people tech for hor- for hordes, is they really have been playing one list for a long time. And well, and I th- and it's hard for them to move away from it. I think if they if we yeah. could Find a second list or maybe adjust a couple units so that second list becomes viable. Um, Then you might see something different. But I think that's the key is like like I said, there's a template. Most armies have one, um, but theirs barely changes. You know, and part of it is the something that that Jeff talked about in the past and Reese kind of touched on is that like any any of their big bugs are just not an option as long as Castellan is around. He'll exactly, kill like yeah. six Carnifexes a turn, and that's sure. you can't deal with that. Um, yeah, so I, I was... until that changes, Nids are kind of stuck in a single list. They don't have a lot of options. I, I was just about to say, like, I have a list that I've done really, really well with, with the um, Turvagon. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I've played against uh, Pablo, has been on the receiving uh... end of it, and he was actually... He was actually like like getting a little salty about the Turvagon, which is, <laughs> and, and I say that in jest, right? Because it's funny. But now that the Turvagon had a dramatic points reduction in chapter approved, mm-hmm. the 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 gaunt list with uh, one or more Turvagons, and just allowing your opponent to get stuck in them and using acid blood to make them kill themselves, yeah, it's yeah. really really good. It's really good for clock control. It's really good for board control. Um, mm-hmm. uh, maybe not the most exciting army to play all the time. But that the the one thing that makes that list non viable right now is the stupid Castellan, because that yeah. army will will grind out victory uh, in a similar way to like a, a plague bearer list. It's really good, except for the fact that a Castellan aces it in one shot. Yeah, yeah. it's like two of your Turvagons die on the first turn of the game. It's like, well, there goes my game plan. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I don't know what you Tyranid players are doing because I have only won one game against Tyranids in my entire Eighth Edition career. Uh, since getting stomped on by Reese when I was first learning 8th edition with his Tyranids, all the way to Old Mally at Adepticon uh, and Reese's Turvagon. Old Mally! Oh, that's the best story I've ever heard! Yeah, (laughs) it's possibly the greatest thing that's ever happened in 40k. Old Maliceptors and Turbagons, Tyranid players, and a billion Gaunts. That's how you win games with Tyranids. Well, you heard you it first. Let, let's be specific. <laughs> you win games with that one Maliceptor against your characters yeah. rolling perfect dice. Dude, that was. I still laugh so hard every time I think oh, about I've, that. I've so told that good. story to so many people, and it just blows oh. them away. Uh, check so back good. on 
it was was it last year's BAO episode? Last year's Adepticon. Adepticon, Adepticon. Yeah. Last year's yeah. Adepticon. Yeah. Check, check out that episode of Chapter Tactics. Pablo tells the story there. It was yep. hilarious. <laughs> Almost yes, one year ago. So, um, so can oh, go we, ahead. At, I, I did bring. I also brought broke down orcs for you guys, and I would really like to talk about them because, like, when you listen to or read. Um, like the post LVO talk, there's a lot of people that were that are saying, you know, oh well, maybe orcs aren't as good as they're supposed to be. Hmm. Um, okay, okay. Right. So All I right, feel we'll talk about orcs. I feel like we should because I I don't think they're right. <laughs> maybe maybe I'm the one that's wrong, but um, like there are a lot because a lot of people were predicting orcs in the top eight. I was one of them. I assumed there'd be at least one, um, even with all the tech against them. Like that was just an assumption that you know Nick Nadavadi, Pam Preen, Rich mm-hmm. Kilton, someone like that was going to make the top eight. And it didn't happen, um, but they still performed like relatively well, even if their overall numbers don't show it. Um, they were eight point one seven percent of the field day one. They only averaged a forty eight percent win rate. Um, two orc players went five and one, but fourteen of them went four and two. So mm-hmm. like it, it wasn't that they were underperforming. Um, it was just like the the, and it was something I've mentioned on previous podcasts as well. It's similar to Nids where. Um, and it was that way for a while. Your top four, in a lot of tournaments, you'd have a, an orc player first or second, and then you would have like three in the bottom four. Um, and it was really all keeping their their percentages down. Um, mm-hmm. When you look at their faction versus faction, it tells a pretty interesting story. The factions they struggled against, for the most part, were ones that also struggled. Uh, so a lot of their losses, and when you look at like their their first round loss and where they were losing, it was against like late game. It was it was the guys that were like losing their first f- first two or three matches. They just kept losing, right? So they were four and seven against Necrons. They were two and six against Chaos Marines. They were three, <laughs> eleven, and one against uh, standard Marines. So all sub fifty percent factions uh, going into uh, LVO and at LVO. Um, they were six and two against Admech, seven and four against Chaos Demons. Both factions that were uh, very that performed very well. Um, Ten and six against Tyranids, who we've already talked about. Um, it's just something to really think about. And another thing, um, they probably had the unit that had the greatest impact outside of the Castellan on their lists. Um, the big mech with a shock attack gun, particularly one from Dreadwog, it showed up in 29 of the 54 lists. Um, it lists that took it. So I'm not going to say that it alone was the reason why this one, I assume it has a lot to do with the players that realized that this unit needed to be in the list. Um, but it averaged a 53.55% win rate lists that didn't bring it had a 41.7% win rate. Jeez. Yeah. So I, so, I think like it's, it's a major impact. Yeah, I think there was a revolution going into the LVO among Orcs players, uh, in, like early January, because I heard about the shock attack gun through I think Steve Pamperine, and then there were whispers of it being really powerful. And Val was telling me, "Oh, Petey Pop, this 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 gun's pretty good." And I'm like, "I don't know," but then it, all these top yeah. players brought it. I'm like, "Oh man!" It's so there must so be like an Orc good. forum somewhere or, or something. Yeah, word there is an Orc forum. Blame Val Heffelfinger. There, there are several of them. <laughs> no, but it's. For, for anyone who's never seen it in action, you don't understand how hard it hits because it will vaporize units. And when I say units, I don't mean like, ooh, five scouts. I mean like, oh, ten Terminators. It'll um, kill, um, I think Skari mentioned in his prep for LVO, he played against it. And in one round of shooting, it killed 12 Talos. Or yeah, No, oh sorry, gosh. not 12, oh, eight Talos. Oh, okay, eight yeah. Talos? Eight Talos. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. Uh, it's if you get the right rolls with it, it's super unreliable. If you get the right rolls with it, and it starts dealing out mortal wounds. 
you can triple shoot it and it will just go ham. Yep. Yeah. It's bonkers. So, it does mortal wounds on hits. Yeah. Um, Peter, what? Uh, how did orcs do against Eldar? Against Eldar, I want to see orcs. if my prediction was accurate because I've been saying that they have the right tools to counter Eldar. In my experience, they usually stomp them, and I'm curious to yeah. see what the statistics say. So, other than against um, at Drukari, so they lost more than they won against Drukari, um, but it was it was very close. It's a 47 percent win rate against Drukari. They they beat Anari more than they lost, which is something only one or two other factions can can boast being able to do. So they had a 52 percent win rate against Anari, and they had against uh, Craftworld Eldar. They were at a 43, but in all of these cases, it's like a one or two game difference. So it's, it's very, um, like across the line, like a 50, 50 almost yeah, uh, when it comes to their gameplay. The one thing that's, that, that skews it is, uh, agents effect stops yeah, yep. grot shield and that's usually critical, but and also um, that's, green that's tide. interesting. Yeah. What, what's that? Also stops green tide. Yeah. yeah, yeah uh, which is pretty big as well. Indeed. Yeah. What, and speaking as someone who plays Eldar, Eldar have to tech to beat orcs. Like, a generic Eldar list does not beat a generic orc list. You have to bring tech for them. Uh, and I think that's part of where those numbers are. It's like, Eldar just are bringing that. I mean, you saw that with uh, Alex Harrison's list and some of the other big ones, where it's like, they were bringing tech specifically to beat orcs. Such. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which are great yeah. against a decent amount of field, but they're there to kill orcs. Yeah, yeah it, and that I makes was sense. just about to say that Alex Harrison teched against orcs and beat two of probably the best players in the world playing orcs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it, it's is it so I made a kind of bold prediction before the Las Vegas Open, like in December, uh, where I basically said orcs are kind of like a more of a gatekeeper army. I feel, uh, mm. and then that they might not make the top eight, but then um, I, I think I ended up changing my statement to yeah, maybe one orc player would make the top eight. My top eight predictions. It's it feels kind of weird because I feel like they're better than a gatekeeper army, but their performance suggests otherwise. And the they're beating the good lists and losing the bad lists, so they're kind <laughs> of like a weird gatekeeper army in that they they gatekeep like the bad players playing the good lists, <laughs> but they but they lose to like the random players playing random lists. That's what it feels. Well, what like. I'll That's, say, okay, but the stats is like. like the two top orc players. They lost to the guy that finished second place That's in the true. tournament. Yeah. who made a list specifically to beat them. Yeah. Well, right. to beat more than that list, but you know what I mean? Like it's it's one of those yeah. things and they they barely lost. Both of them lost by what? 1 point? Like it combined was, uh, yeah, four like points or, or something points. silly. Yeah, it was yeah. very small. So, and yeah, one like, of them in essentially a 1 minute overtime. So like it's a pretty crazy scenario. Like, that's uh, true. That yeah, that is so. a completely fair completely fair statement to say. Or, it, orcs run out of gas too. Like as somebody plays them a lot, when you mm-hmm. with orcs, when you start to lose, you lose because mm-hmm. they they require a high model count. They mm-hmm. need all the buffing characters. They need all the pieces of the puzzle because individually their units are pretty shit. But when you <laughs> combine them together, they become a juggernaut. So, in my experience, when I when I do start to lose with them, the wheels just come off the bus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's well, it's that same situation it's always been where it's like when you have 20 orcs, they're unstoppable. When you have six orcs, they're nothing. Yeah, it's, they're a joke at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're going to move on from the specific faction analysis, the deep dives. Um, like I mentioned before, if, if you wanted to know more about your specific factions deep dive, I highly recommend uh, emailing me at frontlinegamingpdpop at gmail.com or petitioning me to 
or basically the Falcon to go into these deep dives. Um, he definitely can do it, but I'm sure he might need a little tug and pull. Um, moving whoa, on whoa, to... I'm married. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Peter that you're talking Pablo. to there. That's the... yeah. <laughs> hey, what comes out of Las Vegas goes back to Las Vegas? I don't know. I, it's the oh, no. saying in there somewhere. Oh, no. So, Can we just move on? What's yeah, next on the docket? <laughs> let's go on to the average mission points that factions are scored. So th- sure. this is the points scored um, in the ITC Champions missions that a faction scored on average at the Las Vegas Open. The stat okay. is very, very important to look at not only what your factions, what the faction was performing at the Las Vegas Open, but where your own personal list should be in terms of how many points you need to win a game and how many points you need your opponent to not score to lose a game. Um, so, uh, Peter, go ahead and take it away. Sure. Just one moment. I'm going to bring that up. So, um, in terms of uh, primary VP, so if your faction was uh, running top of the game, um, Inari were the, the tops. They averaged uh, 25.41 victory points per game. And they were only averaged uh, 21.8 against. Um, that's the best across the board. So they, they had, uh, in general, dominant performances. Um, next up, in terms of uh, points four, would be Knights, which, you know, second place you'd kind of expect. Uh, 24.73. And then uh, Harlequins, um, hmm. they scored on average 24.68 points per game, um, followed by Guard and then Tau. All of them scored over 24. If you look at the points against, as I mentioned, Inari was the was the lowest at 21.8. I believe they were the only faction that had a sub-22. Um, and then you're looking at uh, Dark Mechanicus, which who cares? There was one guy. He's a jerk. Um, I'm sorry, you're not. Uh, Imperial Knights only had 22.69 points scored against them. Um, Tau Empire, once again, 22.86. And Adeptus Custodes, uh, 22.83. So all factions that had less than 23 points scored against them uh, per game. Um, Custodes doesn't surprise me. They're a very hard army to score against often, just because they're so hard to kill, period. Um, Death Guard, also 22.92, same idea. They're just really... The, the only thing with Death Guard is often they don't score a lot of points. So that's sort of the negative there. That's uh the spread is remarkably close though. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And interestingly, there like I mentioned earlier, there are some factions that had an above fifty percent win rate, but like a terrible um spread of Gene Stealer cults. They won just over fifty percent of their games. Their average uh, primary score was twenty two point eight three, and their average like uh, opponent score was twenty five point three three. And to to give you an idea of how bad that is. Inari's average point score, which was the highest, uh, other than the single Corsairs player, was 25.41. So yeah. it it was almost like Gene Star Colt players were playing, on average, an Inari player in points. Yeah, That's not yeah. where you want to be. But somehow beating half of them. just But like, somehow, the, yeah. The half, the half they were beating, the scores were like 12 to 4, and then they were losing 40 to to three in their in their like uh, yeah in, and, the, and, in the other matches right and speaking of um, Inari Inari were averaged twenty five point four one and their opponents averaged twenty one point eight points which is yeah. also the lowest average opponents victory yeah, points extremely yeah low. it it's a thing that anyone who's played Inari is familiar with it is so hard to pick secondaries against them they are just a nightmare most of the time. Like, I see people taking, like, ground control and stuff just because they're like, well, I can get one out of it. Yeah, theoretically. <laughs> Reese has a theory on that, actually. Um, hmm. 
but on secondaries, uh, just pick the best you can and don't worry about gaming. Well, people people list. think yeah, people try to game it too much, and it I, I feel like you're missing the forest for the trees. You know, like mm-hmm. it's take your army, practice, and then choose the best secondaries you think given the circumstances in front of you, which is list mission, um, um, you know, terrain, and, and and go from there. Like people get way too into the nitty gritty of like, Oh, I'm always going to take this and I'm always going to refuse this, blah, blah. It, it, it's it trusting your ability to make decisions on the fly. Right. Um, I, I, I understand think, that yeah. when you're not playing the game, it, it, it's, that's the only thing you can do. That's the only lever you have to, to, to move. But um, I, I don't think about any of that stuff to the, to that extent. You know, I just go to the table. I look at what's there, look at my opponent's list, give my best guess. I don't assume I'm going to get 12. I, I aim for ten or more on my secondaries, and then I find that you win more often than you don't. So, yeah, but I mean, let's be fair. Their Yanari lists often deny most or all of the choices. Like, it, many of them are just aren't options at all. Um, That's a fair. Have... It's a fair point. Eldar in general yeah. are really good. Yes. Uh, in the missions, um, and that's that's reflected in in their win percentage, but. To be fair, though, Yanari are winning in all formats around the world, so... Sure, yeah. it's... I wouldn't say it is necessarily, like, a specific flaw in ITC. It's something that I would like to see tweaked a little bit. I know that, you know, the missions are going to get updated at some point here, um, but it's not as though Yanari wouldn't be good if you change the the ITC missions somehow. They, I, they're I fantastic. Agree. I, yeah. I agree. And looking at these stats, it actually makes me really proud of what we've done, because... yeah. While there's winners and losers without question, the spread is like the gap between the rich and the poor is not insurmountable at all. No. Yeah. Like, like we said at the beginning, two or three factions probably need a, a little tweak on the way down. Two or three factions need a bump up. And I think you're in a really good spot. Yeah. It, it's also interesting because if you compare the Las Vegas Opens average stats to the, the rest of the season stats, um, you know, they're not as drastic. Like in the yeah. summer in September, you saw Castellan lists or Knights with almost a 70% win percentage. Yeah. Um, 80 once you started yeah, 80 uh, win removing like the, the, um, the mirror matches, right? Right. Like, yeah. Absolutely yeah, yeah. absurd win rates. Um, and some of it's been new codexes coming out that have cha- like, you know, and, that, and that's, the, that's something that I love. I love when a new codex comes out and kind of changes the way we play the game. It's, it's, it feels really organic, right? It's not like we had to fack anything or, um, you know, drastically increase the price of some demon that has all the letters of the alphabet in its name to make <laughs> things work. Um, like, right? We we release an orc codex, and all of a sudden, people are like, "Well, I got to deal with hordes again." I don't have, and so the lists all change, and and I love it. I just, I love that aspect of this game. Um, the stuff that GW's been doing with Vigilus, I hope that keeps going, um, mm-hmm. because it it's another way to kind of bump units that aren't seeing play without. Um, Without having to release a new codex or, you know, so like these players aren't sitting like, like old school Dark Eldar waiting, you know, eight years for something yeah. new to show up in the hopes it'll make them better, right? You, you yeah, don't want to go full 7th edition, right? Never no, go exactly. full 7th edition. No, you also don't want that. I don't want like some kind of weird arms race where I'm right. just hoping that tomorrow I'm going to get a formation that makes, you know, all my troops free. Mm-hmm. Um, right, 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 right. And yeah. like the, the veteran intercessors, I think, is the perfect example because that's supposed to be the flagship uh, poster boy like the most common unit in the game and intercessors were pretty laughable. Yeah. And now I, they are an absolute 
all-star, but they're not overpowering. They're just like they, they reflect the backstory, right? And Yeah, they're what they're supposed to be. Ex- exactly. Good, yeah, good at everything yeah. rather than so, just being mediocre at nothing. Or just a <laughs> slot filler, right, to get yeah, CP. Yeah. Like that unit is like the cornerstone of my entire army now, and it feels extremely appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Pablo. I was going to say, let's go ahead and move on to the sub-faction breakdown. Sure. Okay. So sub-faction breakdown, not a lot to really go over. It's a lot of the same that we saw previously. Each faction has like a, a particular sub-faction that just outperforms the rest. Yeah. Um, if if you look, uh, I mean, Adeptus Sororitas are new. Order of the Bloody Rose mm-hmm. uh, was, was the majority. Had the ha- highest win rate at 56%. Uh, plus one strength, plus one attack is good on cheap units. We saw that with Catechins. Yeah. Um, Adeptus Astartes, most players chose Ultramarines. Funnily enough, Salamanders had the best win rate. In fact, Ultramarines were the only um, chapter that had b- a below 50% win rate for Space Marines. That's because Which Ultramarines is so players, funny, right? Well, Ultramarines players, guys, are the Tyranid players of Space Marine players. <laughs> they really are. <laughs> and I can say that as an Ultramarine player. <laughs> it's it's very true. You're, I, you're I, I was actually really excited to see the variety. Like I thought it was going to be like all Ultramarines with maybe... Like a Black Templar for the for the stratagem, yeah. so it, it was actually really encouraging to see the variety, and then to see the ones that did go walk their own path do so well. Yep, I mean there were four Salamander players, five people. Uh, yeah, four Salamander players, fifty four percent win rate. Salamanders have an amazing chapter tactic; they just need a little boost. Yeah. You have to, uh, you have to Black... min max it to take full advantage of it. Exactly, and people miss it. Yeah. Um, Black Templar, like you said, they have an amazing stratagem. Um, they have a couple really good HQs. I mean, the Emperor's Champion is so cheap as chips for yeah. what he does. Yep. Um, and sma- I mean, they're good with Smash Captain too. Reroll charges yeah. is great. Well, mm-hmm. uh, like Manny Chima's list, I think he went four and two in the end, but he was gunning for for possibly like doing it all. He brought what five Smash Captains? Two of them were Black Templar. Two of them were uh, Blood Angels. Mm-hmm. Or no, I think he had seven Smash Captains. Actually, now that I think about it, was it That's um, absurd? <laughs> like between Death Watch, uh, Black Templar, and Blood Angels. Um, and I mean, it's, that's a friggin' scary list to see, especially if, when, when you consider how many people brought, you know, three to nine flyers to all of a sudden be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think seven of them are dead this turn. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm done yeah. for. <laughs> yeah. Um, for Astro Militarum, uh, Astro Militarum's interesting because once again, you see like an almost even break between Catechins and Cadians. It's for a long time. It was Cadians were the way to go. Then it switched to Catechin. And now we have this even break where we had about 68 players bring Catechins that a 53% win rate on average. 64 brought Cadians at almost 51. Um, the top performing was actually Val Hallens. The eight players that brought them at an average rate win rate of 64%. Um, a lot of that's off the back of like people like Mike Snyder, uh, who went, uh, yeah. what, seven and one. Yeah, but that's, um, that's, there's some, I know you guys always love to use the term tech, but yeah, uh, there's some tech right there. Like if yeah. you're, if you're following the trend, uh, you should take another look. If you yep. have essentially fearless bodies, there's still a lot of value in that. Fearless yep. bodies that yep. if you if you think you can try point them, they still shoot you. Yeah, yep. which is amazing. Like, that's so yeah. that's yeah. absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. so that's yeah. I, I've been banging that drum for a little while, um, and uh, I know Brandon Grant. Well, Brandon Grant didn't bring Val Hollins, but he hypes no, Mike up Snyder Val Hollins, did, and Mike yeah. Snyder also uh, hypes up Val Hollins, but. Uh, at least in the Relentless D chat and in, in the local scene, I've been banging the Valhalla drum for a while, saying that they're really, really good. 
Um, yeah, I still use Catachan because I have Catachan models. Um, <laughs> but but you guys should really consider moving to Valhalla, especially because there's so many yeah. guard players, and there's so many guard players falling into the Cadian or Catachan mold. Um, when you could be maybe taking Valhalla, and well, a loyal thirty-two Valhalla list is is actually really good. Yeah, it. I think it depends on what you need your your guard to do. Like all three of those are viable choices. They just mm-hmm. achieve very different aims. Um, and so a lot of people fall into the trap of this one is the best, so I take it. Right. You shouldn't do that. You should look at what you need, not what is the best in this particular case. Yeah, and trust, right, right. And trust your own ideas. Trust your instincts. Right. Like, exactly. Test it out. Uh, is is basically what what I think is the the takeaway here. Like, don't be afraid to try some of those other regiments because they have a lot to offer. And build like build your army around the regiment, right? I mean, like yeah. a lot of these Cadian lists, the ones that did well, it's because they were trying this triple tank commander that we've started to see in the last couple of months. And wasn't that um, amazing? Like just a simple yeah. change to the missions, and all yep. of a sudden you just it was like a flower blossoming. You just see yeah, and you see tank past commanders show up everywhere. All over the place. Yeah, um, I, and that's great. That's wonderful. And I mean, yeah. the same with the Talarn players. They were also doing like double triple tank commander. Yeah. Um, Catechins, it's bodies, uh, but different than with the Valhallen bodies, right? Generally, you don't see conscripts with catechins, mm-hmm. but Valhallens, they love their conscripts, right? Because a 30-man blob that you can't remove is pretty ridiculous. Uh, it's not bad. <laughs> no. So unless you guys want to talk about anything else, I've got one more thing to talk about with sub-factions, and that's yes. Im- Imperial Knights. Uh, so Agreed. The <laughs> most common sub-faction also had the highest win percentage. Well, actually, they weren't the most common. I'm sorry. They were the most common with the highest win percentage. That was House Raven Imperial Knights sitting at Shocking. a 59% Shocking, yeah, win exactly. percentage. Right. Which is basically 60 Castellans, essentially what that mm, is. It's 56 Castellans, but still, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, 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 the cool thing I like about the Knights sub-factions is that they're they're very ver- various. There's, there's a lot of variety in them, and they're all doing... Pretty well, with the exception of Hawkshroud, who was sitting at a forty-four percent win percentage. Yeah, don't take I, them anymore. I guys. don't like Hawkshroud. I Reese's, love Hawkshroud. Reese is all over. Yeah, this is why. Look at, <laughs> look at Reese subfaction, the worst performing subfaction of the Night Codex. Reese is all over it. It's <laughs> my favorite. They weren't the worst. The House Griffith and Cadmus with a single yeah, representative. with one other player. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I love Hawkshroud, but yeah, fair enough, right? Like, it, it's not for everybody. But yeah, Tyrannus. Yeah, oh, go ahead. As you love to say, your mileage may vary, right? Yeah, <laughs> totally. I'm still going to play them. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah, think any like, of the night houses are truly bad. No, like, they no. all offer actual good benefits. Yeah. So, so I, I just, I love that, I love that um, codex. And uh, for those of you night players who are maybe going like, eh, the Castellan's making us, putting us in the spotlight, I, I think once, when, not once, when the Castellan gets nerfed, however it gets nerfed, uh, I think the Knight Codex is still going to be in a really good spot, and I'm really excited. Uh, I'm also shooting for best knights in the ITC 2019 season. So, you should um, be like me. Switch for best Sisters of Silence. It's hard to lose. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll tell you now, that's not true, because they fall under Imperial Agents, and there was some I'm fierce that competition change. for that. I'm, I'm making that change. Trust me. Also, People will be Re- like, we can't deal with it. Reese, since <laughs> I, I got you on here, I gotta I gotta throw my spiel at you. Let's oh, make... No, uh, no it's, it's real simple. Let's make ITC faction based on total detachment points, not single largest detachment. I think we can actually do that now because we have yeah. the list. The, the now that the lists are being machine read, right? Uh, before I couldn't get people to read the description of the ticket that they bought for the event. Yeah, I know. Like <laughs> you have, 
it's so difficult to get people to follow instructions. Like, yeah, I can't really describe how difficult that is. Well, but do now I've read eight thousand lists now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel you. Yeah, but now <laughs> I think I think it's an achievable goal. Now, one of the other things that people have been crying out for the most is um, best in faction to be pure. Like, yeah, to get best in faction, you have to have a hundred percent that now. That's a semi-achievable goal. I'm not sure if this is the year that we do it, but that's something that now that we have the wonderful tool that we do, mm-hmm. it's something that's actually conceivable. Um, yeah. Whereas before, it just it just was not possible to do. Yeah, and, yeah. and this is this is on you guys too. So for you, to you thousands and thousands of listeners, you know, go to your TO and and just say, hey, could you would you mind standardized listing? You know, using the Best Coast Pairings Player app and standardized lists for this ITC event, especially if it's a GT, uh, a GT or a major. You know, it's that way we can do stuff like this. You, a lot of people who complain about the the list diversity or um, the factions diversity that we talked about could be easily be solved just by going to your TO and asking them to make standardized lists a thing. And, and the uh, tool's only going to get better. Like the yes, BCP yeah. guys are already working on a, a checker where you put your list in and it tells you what you did wrong. It's it's oh, only going to get yeah. more user-friendly as we go. Yeah. I mean, like I've been on this, this soapbox for how long have I been on the, the podcast? Like six months <laughs> yeah. um, about standardizing lists. Uh, it's just um, – like just to give you an idea, I I know that I kind of under underplayed how much work I put into this. I spent probably forty two hours going through lists to get this data right, and that was with BCP's help, mm-hmm. right? That was with them sending me a bunch of data. It's just because even with the standardization, there were still a lot of people that didn't get it, and they did it slightly wrong, right? So the BCP app didn't trigger that it was wrong. Be, uh, but because they put a bracket in the wrong spot, all of a sudden it didn't trigger that there was a unit there um, and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I just – I really would love if we went to something where all of this was automated, where BCP could be like – I could look at the BCP stuff and I know the BCP guys feel the same way. And they could be like, I, I can 100% guarantee this is every unit that everybody took. This is the proper faction for every single person. Um, and I know there's something there to be said for we need a like a universal list builder. But baby steps, I guess, right? Let's well, yeah. move forward. The other part too, like the the mission critical part. Not only is it fun for talking about stats, not only is it fun for, uh, or, or it just makes everything more transparent. It makes going to a tournament a more enjoyable experience because you know that you're playing against a legal list, etc. But oh, yeah. it's it's absolutely coming as a play tester. I promise this data is going to make the game better. And it's going sure. to go to the right place and influence the right decisions. Yes. And from a, just like a purely selfish perspective, like if for all of you out there who are like, why should I do all this for my tournament? Here's the thing. People care about hearing these numbers. And if Peter can't get any of the numbers on your tournament, we won't talk about it. So if you want your tournament to get attention, if you want people to care about what happened there, put all this stuff up, make it viewable, make it readable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if, if I could never see another napkin with a like a list written out on it, mm-hmm. be so good. How, how about I a screenshot it. of someone's phone who took a picture of their computer? Okay, <laughs> listen. Not all of us are Jeff Robinson. We can't pull off <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> oh no, regular. Um, but still, um, let's talk about something else. What What uh, else so do you want to hear about, next, Pablo? The The next um, up on the uh, faction analysis is finally. I, I think something that we all want to talk about that we could probably deep dive into for two episodes, the faction versus faction data or faction versus faction analysis. How well is your 
faction performing against other people and other factions. Um, Peter, Cliff Notes, keep it simple. Were there any key takeaways, any surprises jumping out at you for the faction versus faction data? I know we talked about it a little bit as we talked about the faction analysis, but anything else in particular? Sorry, yeah, I, I kind of hit on a lot of the big ones. Um, there were some interesting things. Like if you look at Thousand Suns, who I mentioned at the beginning, kind of had a very poor performance con- compared to where they have been. Because Thousand Suns were sitting at an almost 60% win rate for a long time. Um, LVO, they, they were at a 44. Uh, 22% win rate against Denari at LVO. That's that's a big differential from where they normally stood. As For a long time, they were the only faction with a winning win rate against Denari. So to get uh, to only win, you know, two of their nine games against Denari at LVO, that's a a big change for them. Um, yeah, the I mean, I can talk. That showed up there were very different from what you'd been seeing up until that point. So that's not actually yeah. too surprising. Yeah, yeah and th- that's like I did deep dive pretty hard on Denari. Um, like the, a lot of them brought the multi flyer. I think it was like eleven lists brought multi flyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and by multi-flyer, I mean more than three. I'm not even talking about just like a, a standard uh, three-flyer list. I'm talking four to nine flyers. Uh, there are ten players that did that. Um, and they had an average um, an average score of – well, their their win rate was 40, 19, and 1. Yeah. So, like, they, they, they definitely performed. The only flyer – Eldar flyer that didn't was the Void Raven Bomber. Almost everybody that brought that um, kind of crapped the bed. But every other flyer had a almost 60% win rate. Um, yeah, it, and while we're on the Nanari topic, uh, the three factions that actually performed uh, had a winning percentage against Nanari were Death Guard, Imperial Knights, and Orcs. Which I know we already yeah. talked about Orcs. Uh, so if you've you've got if you're if you're a Nanari player, actually no, I'm not going to help you if you're a Nanari player. If you're a person <laughs> thinking about going into a tournament and you're worried about Nanari and you have access to Death Guard knights or orcs or if you're one of those players maybe it's just running that especially if there's a local player who's absolutely dominating everyone with an inari list and you want to take them to town run a knight list there you go boom pro <laughs> yeah, that is definitely the magic bullet that's why you yeah. saw so many knights in the top eight <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure do you, do you guys mind if i back up just like one second sure yeah. for sure so uh necrons much bemoaned the data supports that they underperform uh, if you're a Necron player, you need to email one of the f- three Nefric Dynasty players that had a 64% win ratio, because <laughs> they are they're onto something that everybody else is missing. So <laughs> I was well, just reviewing the numbers and I was like, that's incredible. Like they were vastly overperforming. Well, when you look, we did have one Necron player uh, that went five and one, mm-hmm. um, and he brought a list that when I talked to like other Necrons, like people that have been trying to make them work. They were quite surprised. Um, he's actually from. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Sweden, and I'm gonna really regret it when he, I find out he's from like Norway or Finland and that they are oh, at war a, or something. You, you just made a huge uh, mistake, sir. Oh no. But, uh, but he like um, I've talked to a couple of the guys that that know him. He's been playing that list for forever and a day, and it just goes to show what just reps do, right? Yeah. Like you, you play a faction that uh, that is considered to be like a, a perennial underperformer for quite a long time, but you get to know your your list uh, to such a level that you can go five and one at LVO, mm-hmm. even with mm-hmm. some bad matchups. Like he did not play a, a lot of easy guys. Uh, his name's Thomas Christensen. Yeah, he oh, went three and zero. Phenomenal and, player. And um, yeah, like he brought a catacomb command barge, which you don't see very often. 
He had a Cryptek. He brought two squads of 10 Necron Warriors that he threw in Ghost Arcs. And a, very few people were playing Ghost Arcs. The, I love, the general con- love my Ghost Arc. The general it's consensus for Necrons was that they were going to take uh, triple Doom Scythe right. and triple Doomsday Arc, right? And then that was kind of like what most people brought. Um, and yeah, I mean, he went 5-1. and one. He only lost one game. It was a close matchup, too. I think he scored 28 points in that loss. So, yeah. like... Um, there's something to be said for Necrons. I think they're. I think of the factions that need a fix, they're probably the ones that are closest. Um, maybe a slight point reduction somewhere. Maybe up Necron warriors to be able to f- be fielded in units of thirty or units of five, one way or the other, or both. Um, but I think they're very close to being like a legit faction as it is. Yeah, yeah and, and, and no, go, go ahead, Sean. Oh, I was going to say it. Part of the secret is they're the only faction that's allowed to bring vehicles because their vehicles are mostly immune to the Castellan. Yeah. That oh yeah, quantum lot. shielding is <laughs> yep. laughably good against the Castellan. Yeah, it's yeah. so like that opens up a set of options for them that just aren't there for anyone else. And, and most of them like, have the fly keyword as well, so they're yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Those like Reese was saying, those ghost arcs are not bad. Most of why people take doomsday arcs is for those flare arrays, and the ghost arc has that as well. Um, it's so good at blocking out charges and just getting in the way of things because it's enormous and it flies. And if, if you have one warrior left, you're yep. going to get almost the entire unit back. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so I think I think this also shows another cool thing that that Reese and I have been talking about, and that's the the picking the jockey, not the horse. Um, what that means mm-hmm. is basically good players will win with with almost anything. And especially good players from around the world. Uh, we talked about CanCon and how Tyranids did really well at CanCon and in Australia, but not so hot at the LVO and in the States. And same thing from all from in Europe and the European meta too. So another cool thing that I really like about these stats and, and the Las Vegas Open being a, such a big event is just the international appeal, right? So now we're going to have players, hopefully, from traveling from all around the world, coming to events like the Las Vegas Open and showing everyone what they can do so that we can talk about them on these kinds of, you know, podcasts. Very exciting. Very exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to say that real quick. All right. Yeah. So uh, l- let's go ahead and talk about um, some unit analysis. Uh, th- these This unit analysis is basically what units were the most used units. Uh, and a lot of it's like like funny tongue-in-cheek stuff. Like there are over 6,000 infantry, you know, models or 5978 almost 6000 in <laughs> astromil term infantry models which is which is silly to think about there were more infantry models than people at the Las Vegas Open and it was a pretty nice sized con but Every doesn't player... that feel doesn't that feel like it's true to the fluff like yeah. <laughs> there's just oceans of guardsmen and then next i think was like boys i was like oh it, this is actually true to the lore of the game <laughs> And think about it financially. That's almost eighteen thousand dollars in your yeah. in your crazy green U.S. money in models. Hey, were... we don't we don't use loonies and toonies. Get out of here. Hey, my monopoly money is not up for fighting here. Okay, <laughs> I will send Jim Vessel and Alex McDougal down there, our two uh, most righteous heroes, to deal with you. <laughs> <if you wanna>. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, so yeah, so we'll like yeah, let's do like a quick breakdown. Um, I. I, I threw some tables together for Pablo of like the, the most viewed units by um, with troop choices included Hello, and Peter. without um, because you know obviously troops him? are going to be in most. Uh oh, I think he got two. So from a model count uh, perspective, so he threw together some tables. Um, 
um, infantry for squads models were sitting that at were the most 5,978. Um, he broke there it down 4, from uh, most model boys. count period. And like you'd 2, expect, it's mostly troops. Gretchen, Your top five are infantry squads, 1,702 cultists, Gretchen, 1,272 uh, uh, plague bears, 1,200 gene stealers. Yeah, gene stealers, which, you know, I, I, Peter was right when he said that tier players should stop bringing gene stealers. They're clearly not working. Turbogons no. should be higher than gene stealers. Yes. Oh, but the the guys who didn't bring gene stealers tend to do even worse. Well, I mean, it, a lot of them is gene stealer cult gene stealers, which do work. Yeah. Um, but then it's zingers, and then the one that was most interesting to me was uh, fire warriors. Yeah. The, the fire warrior horde is really caught on in Europe, and I think that it's starting to come over to the to America as well, which. I called that one from the beginning, if I do mind having <laughs> I mean, on the back. No, no disagreement from me. Even like a basic towel list is running at least 30 of them, just as a bare minimum. They're and so often good. often a lot more than that. Yeah. They're, they're so they're, good for the points. It's a point phenomenal point, troop. Yeah, like they're barely more than like a guardsman or a cultist. And, and they're vastly get, better. Yeah, you get the better gun, you get the better armor, you get the better leadership, you get so many bonuses. And I mean, um, yeah. in Europe, there were multiple people running the like 120 to 200 gar- uh, Fire Warrior lists. Yeah, although but... I don't think they've typically done all that well, like not poorly, like we're seeing like three twos, four ones. Yeah, but, I, mean, you know, I think Manny Chima went five and one. I think that was the best result oh, yeah. they had. Um, okay. Yeah, he and Alex Harrison both tried it at, uh, a, ma- at a major, so. Yeah. I've definitely seen it tried. I've never seen it go the distance, but you know that's not to say it's terrible. It just may not be the best list. Yeah, and and in terms of uh, um, model count, time model counts with no that weren't troop choices, uh, Luda's were by far the most yeah. represented non-troop choice in nine hundred oh, nine hundred Luda models. Yeah, there. I, I, what does it come like five in a kit? Yeah, yeah, nine hundred eight of them there. Yeah. yeah, everyone's buying six kits for their orc army um, and, and yeah. on top of like a billion orc boys kits. So uh, <laughs> Look at grotesques. They come in kits of one. Oh, yeah, no. but how many of them were actually oh, kit bashes? Yeah. Well, for sure, but still. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to tell you 458. <laughs> of those 458, yeah. I'd guess maybe Eight of them. <laughs> 30 of them. No, 30. Because I know a couple guys who got the actual grotesque kits because they're But even people men. that get the actual kit still kit bash them, so it's not the same breakdancing yeah. monster. Yeah. <laughs> Man, GW really messed up with that one. Like, they release all those gorgeous Dark Eldar kits and then the singular grotesque. Yeah. It's like, oh, really? Well, couldn't make a plastic well, you know out of this maybe... one? You know, sometimes I, I have been told that GW does on occasion listen to this podcast. So maybe if someone in GW is listening, we'll we'll see a grotesque kit in a year or two. Mm, maybe with three of them, and all of them with are doing different of them. breakdancing poses. Ooh, that could be like a breakdancing troop. <laughs> oh man, That'd be so good. oh I want one with his arms crossed and another one spinning yes. on his head. It would be so good. Ooh. One guy's so, got a boombox on his shoulder. <laughs> You're just so, describing uh, my Slanesh army now. <laughs> <laughs> um. The HQ choice um, that was the most used HQ choice beat out Orc Commandos, Aberrants, Bulgren, Company Commander yeah. coming in hot, 246 representations, mm-hmm. and only coming in a single command squad box. Um, I, I would I would like to petition GW again. While I have you, GW, while I've got you with the spicy, grotesque numbers, um, <laughs> could you just make like a Company Commander like Clamshell, you know? 
Mm. Just just so we ten bucks, fifteen, but whatever you want to price. I don't. I care. mean, thirty five at the current rowing rate. But uh, I mean, I mean sure. again, these are all converted anyway. You yeah. get a, you buy yeah. one command squad, right. you make five company commanders if you want That's, to. <laughs> that that is true. But I'm sure that people would buy for cheaper buy the single model of what, especially if it looks cool too. Especially if it's like a that. Primaris company commander. A Primaris company <laughs> commander. Uh, well, uh, let's just amend that slightly and make it a Primaris lieutenant, and they got four more coming out next month. Oh, <laughs> true story. Ooh. Mm. I, I can't believe there was 788 mortar teams. Yep. Holy, yep. holy crap. It's, very, it's a very popular unit. Um, no, they only come in nines, so... Yeah. <laughs> um, shield drones, six hundred and seventy-eight of those. Dark That's Cross. actually another huge number. I yeah, I, I yeah. don't like drones in Tau personally, but so well, you're many wrong. people brought shield drones. Yeah. I guess yeah, you know you I are. am wrong. Every Tau player is like just, just turned off the podcast. <laughs> so I quit. Brian Pullen so literally crazy. shorted out when you said that. Like, <laughs> yeah, God, some of these numbers are astounding. Yeah. Dark well, Reapers, you... 543 Dark Reapers. Yeah. Oh, here's another big number. I don't number. think there are 543 Eldar left in the universe. <laughs> yeah. Dark Reapers. <laughs> That's a whole craft world of yeah. nothing but Dark Reapers. Oh, uh, I think another... I know that one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, another craft big world, number is suck it. 147 Virtus Praetors. Mm. Oh, yeah. It, there were as many Virtus Praetors as there were Tau Pathfinders. I mean, so they, think of the little they come in the Custody Starter Kit, right? So Yeah. <laughs> 512 Death Watch veterans. I mean, Death Watch are <laughs> tremendously better, but I think yeah. that's that's literally half the Death Watch chapter yeah. yep. showed up to the LVO. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there were I believe there were more Space Marines at LVO than exist in the 40K universe. <laughs> That's probably like, that's, true. Like, like, literally true. And Death Watch yeah. are carrying on great. I mean, we didn't talk a lot about them. They were the best performing power armor faction, as I think they probably should be. It doesn't surprise me. They were almost yeah, at a 50% really win rate. And when you, like, when you look at specifically um, armies that just essentially took the battalion, the 1,000 point, like, three squads of vets or four, mm-hmm. and uh, a librarian and a watchmaster, their win rate was something ridiculous, like 56%. Um, like they performed very well. It was the ones that decided to break off and try extra stuff, um, which I think now is a better idea with beta bolter rules. But prior to beta bolter, you might have wanted to stick to kind of the basics. Um, yeah. Like yeah. It, so. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. I know you. So I was just gonna move on. Okay. Good. Okay. Me too. So um, uh, Pete. There's also so much got good stuff to talk about here. Though the, like, insane <laughs> is is crazy, but we like don't have time for it all. 272 scions. Who yeah. are these yeah. brave people? A surprising number of good players. Yeah. I, I, I know, but even at like 20 scions a list, that means, you know. There's 10, a shit ton of them. Yeah, 12, it's incredible. They're not, they're not bringing 20. They're bringing 30 and 40 with that new drop force. Oh, yeah, fair yeah. Mitch, Mitch okay. Pelham has been playing around with that a little bit, and I know a couple other guys have as well, and they've they've had some pretty decent success with it. It's not yeah. top tier, but like you can really put some hurt in when you brought 40 Scions with 8 Plasma Guns onto some guys. Yep. Yeah. I so, mean, do you want to talk about uh, list representation? Because I mean, we went on model counts, but like lists... Yeah, yeah, let's talk about list representation a little right. bit. So, um, when you count troops, I mean, infantry squads, once again, the top, of the like 146... Uh, Lists that had guard, 142 of them brought at least one infantry squad. Wait, are you saying four guard detachments didn't have a single infantry squad? Just it's a heavy conscripts. weapon. Yeah, or it's oh. just like a heavy weapon uh, squad. Just a single well, heavy like, weapon uh, squad. Well, Jonathan Geiger, who was in the top 12, right? He brought just what, like mm. two Marauder Destroyers and a Shadow Sword? So, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, there's that too. So, so something like that. 
Um, 79 lists had Castellans. There were actually 80 Castellans that attended. Uh, one guy brought two. Um, uh, How did he do, by the way? Um, give me a second. I can tell you. I'm curious, because that just seems so heinously over the top. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever seen the triple Castellan list? That three. shouldn't even be a thing. <laughs> three three Castellans in the Loyal 32. That's... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my God, that fits. Yep, oh. just barely. That's you good. have, like, four points to spend or something stupid like that. Knight Castellan. So, Two there are 54 miles. lists with Knight Gallants, um, which which is actually a lot of Knight Gallants. He um, uh, went four and two, by the way, uh, Reese, the one that brought two. Well, I guess yeah. that wow. when you have two crutches, you can go faster than if you just have one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that harsh. One. Very harsh. <laughs> oh, forgive like me that. for that one if you listen to this podcast. <laughs> I like that one. No, uh, Pablo's been way worse, so. That's true. <laughs> it's true. I'm, I should be PD foot in the pub, foot in the mouth pub. Anyway, uh, you want to talk about gallants? Uh, yeah, yeah. There, I was just counting the gallants. There are fifty-four. There are fifty-four gallants, uh, or fifty-four lists with gallants in them. Um, but I imagine there's a lot more gallants than Castellans, maybe. Uh, it was close. No. Um, yeah. I think close. there were. Yeah, there were seventy-seven gallants. Yeah. Um, on seventy and eighty Castellan. Dang. Yeah. But when you take gallants, you usually take multiples of them. Exactly. You're taking yeah. two or three. Um Armager Helverins, I believe, was the most brought tonight. But I mean, obviously, yeah, it was like it, it eighty-five. No, the Castellan is number one. Uh, there were there were eighty-eight Helverins. Oh, yeah. okay. Ooh, yeah, in my your bad. face. Yep. In it's my okay. They also <laughs> only had a win rate of forty-eight percent, so it's not like um, they were destroying the meta. So. And that was with a number of them being brought with uh, a Castellan. So, <laughs> so um, <clears throat> we can move on. I'd like to move on to the uh, the uh, most successful units overall. So Peter, amazingly, tracked the twenty five units that gave you the highest overall win rate or the highest chance to win your game. Uh, units that showed up less than fifteen in fifteen lists were omitted due to sample size. So these are um, not guaranteed. But these are are the best chances for you winning for for you winning your games, and uh, if you are an Eldar player and you are underperforming, you can probably just make a list with all of these. Don't don't even worry about coherency. Yeah, just, just make take the list. all of these models. And yeah, you'll probably do okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> definitely how Eldar of... <laughs> work. Like yeah. you could just sort of cram them into the enemy's face and just win every time. Yeah, T three is always good enough. <laughs> so it, it, it's before we. Duke jump into it. One thing that really sh- did jump out at me was there were a lot. There was a huge Eldar representation in the most successful units overall, with yep. a sprinkling of of like even like the the Castellan or, or Imperium mixed Imperium units or any of the other factions too, which is really 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 interesting. I, I think I don't know what that says. Maybe it, it kind of points to the Eldar list not having a lot of variety, but I I don't know. I don't know what it means. Maybe Peter can help me out. Well, but, just Eldar in general did very good at the tournament, and they do general. Yeah, and overall That's they true. did well. But if you look at these units, for the most part, the, like they're what you saw in the big Inari lists, right? Um, Storm Guardians because they're a ridiculously cheap troop. So cheap, yeah. Um, yeah. and I mean a sixty-five point three eight percent win percentage. So obviously the people that were trying to save points were the ones that brought them, and for good yeah. for good reason, right? Yeah, they're um, the highest performing single unit in a list. Yeah, um, Eldrad Ulthuan was next up at uh, just yeah. under sixty-one percent. Um, he showed up in forty lists. Um, all of them performed, uh, whether it was Anari or not. Um, 
Spirits Ears are next and have rain. So, of course, you know, you get your basically your triumvirate of uh, HQs that uh, Anari are going to take. And then next up was Vultures, um, a devastating Astro Terram unit. Yeah. Right? Almost a 59.5% win rate. Um, How many Vultures were there? There were 16 lists that brought Vultures, and I believe they all brought either two or three um, for the most part. Uh, Are you you telling me a unit that can fly and has 43 shots is good? No, with, no, with that's not what I'm saying around? at all. That doesn't make Come any on. sense. Okay, I don't know. I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but uh, <laughs> I think you need to explain this to me a little better. Well, yeah. Well, I think you just explained it for the crowd. So yeah, there were 16 lists, 30 uh, vultures. Uh, their record was 55, 37, and three. So they just shy of a 60% win rate. Uh, Succubus was in sixth place. Yep. Um, the highest <laughs> win percentage of a Dark Eldar list. Which was just the succubus. I imagine one Dark Eldar player went zero and six, did not run a succubus, uh, and and but well, they did it wrong. They did it wrong. <laughs> for, well, there were a um, lot of succubus in um, in Ari lists as well, right? Uh, for the um, Chardonnets and uh, and general trickery of, uh, oh, what's the Sh- one where they die? They do like D six mortal wounds to whatever killed them. Uh, the uh, I forget the relic is called, but yeah. So that's another shenanigan the, they can pull. Like, there's so many. There's so well, many. And they're, just... they're also just a cheap HQ to keep yep. your battalion bound, which you saw a lot of mixed Dark Eldar detachment with a succubus. And a homunculus. One of the relics, a homunculus for another one of their relics, and then three squads of troops for Agents of Act. Yeah. Uh, a very, very common detachment. It was. Uh, when you look at um, like Dark Eldar, there's a lot of them that are mixed, and that's essentially what it was. Um, yep. Then you have Astropaths, uh, essentially the, mm-hmm. the number two performing uh, guard unit. Cheapest psyker in the game. Exactly. And then you have Razorwing Jetfighters. Uh, triple Dizzies are pretty exciting. Uh, Warlocks, Shining Spears, still uh, still performer, 58.4% mm-hmm. uh, win rate. Crimson Hunter Exarchs, Dire Avengers, the Ever uh, Vigilant Bulgrin at a 57.39% win rate. And there were 129 Vulgrin, I believe it was, that showed how, up. How were there not more? I, I don't yeah. understand. I've been saying it since the edition came out that Vulgrin are stupid good. Like, how are there not more of them? That's uh, the part yeah. that I don't understand. I under- I don't understand that either. I mean, they're ridiculous. They don't need anything besides a priest, and that's it. And, and they, I've, they'll kill anything that they go into combat with. And until Gene Stealer cults get fact, you can give them orders. Ugh, well, yeah, I, I wouldn't that's plan on not that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm assuming no, the but, fact comes next week, but anyway, um, yeah, Bol- Bolgren. Like I, I think the only weakness to Bolgren these days, now they can't that can't get that two up in Volm, mm. is the existence of the Castellan. Um, it, it even so, they're unit. they're oh sure with two with two rerolls. Yeah, I'm if, not if, saying if, if the Castellan shoots your Bolgren, you you won. Like you're like, yay! Thank you for not shooting my wyverns and basilisks and all the things I need to actually win the game. Yeah. I think the assumption is at that point, it has already killed all your wyverns and basilisks and everything but the enemy Castellan. So you're, you're better off killing that. But yeah, like they're, they're a monster of a unit, just like grotesques. Like they're just so hard to get rid of and they kill so many things. They hit so hard. I've had a unit of uh, five kill uh, Mortarian in one round of combat. Like without exceptional dice either. Like they're they're, absolutely, they're that good. Um, yeah. And then we'll, let's just talk, I guess, for the rest. Let's just quickly talk about the ones that aren't Eldari. So Ariman had a 56% win rate. Um, 
bit of a cheat here. That's Ariman on foot. I did split them up because I wanted to track how Ooh. he did on a disc versus on foot. And the Ariman on foot did far better. He was brought in just over 20 lists. The one on a disc, I believe, was brought in at 30-some, and he only had like a 50% win rate. That's uh, still, interesting. Still good. He, but what, he what, why would you guys guess that that is? Uh, just less points? Yeah. Uh, less points, can't go into buildings, doesn't benefit mm. from veterans of the long war, and is a demon for a bunch of the things that affect demons. Ooh, the one uh, on the disc on is not infantry? Nope. Oh, he's, okay. He's yeah, cavalry. You get on a disc right. of cavalry. Mm. Um, also, one of the interesting things that Josh Death was talking about, um, I forget what the name of the spell is. It's the one that gives you a, a chaos boon for free. Um, it's, it, you get to roll on the random table, yep. and you get a random thing off it, and if you get a seven, you can pick. Um, one of the results on there is plus one to casting. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And if you've got your, some rerolls available, getting an additional plus one to cast with Arimon brings you up to a plus two. And that's really, really big. Like, he's a baby Magnus at that point. Um, and you can only use that on a non-demon character. The one on disc is a demon. Mm. Mm, interesting. Um, <clears throat> I, I know it's an Eldari model, but I did want to point to the Solitaire. Mm -hmm. The Solitaire kind of jumped oh, out yeah. at me a little bit because... It's a good model. I don't think anyone would question how good that model is, but it's been kind of trending away. People have been people have been using the solitaire less and less. Um, and ditto for Harlequins. Harlequins have been kind of falling down a little bit. Uh, do you think it's because of like I think Sean Naden brought a solitaire? I don't know. Yes, I actually don't know who brought solitaire. Um, so sorry. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say like the. I wouldn't say that they were dropping out of favor. You were still seeing them quite a bit. There's the Inari Solitaire is relatively new. It's been, I've seen it in the past, but it generally didn't do very well. Um, after Naden brought the the Harlequin um, detachment a couple weeks back to, I don't remember what the tournament was, you started seeing them more again. Yeah, it's um, really good. Yeah, I, I see people beast. use them incorrectly all yeah. the time. Like they just yeah. they just scud missile right into you kill like two or three things and then they die and i'm like that was terrible you have to play it intelligently right and sean is probably one of the best examples of that he's super you, good yeah he's i mean he's one of the best right so yeah. you, you don't just throw it at your opponent you, you yeah. use it tactically and i think that's one of the reasons why people got frustrated with it is they thought they'd just come in and, and use some of the little combo tricks but um, no. rarely do I see anybody use it correctly. Mm. Yep. Well, that guy, <clears throat> we were talking about how good Bulgrin were earlier. That guy will kill a whole unit of Bulgrin by himself. Yeah, if you play it correctly. And yes, and everything else. if yeah. you do. Oh, no, you don't even need the suit. You send him in there with the uh, the Relic Rose, mm, uh, and okay, he'll just yeah. shred that whole thing. He needs the Soul Burst to do it, but how hard is it to get a Soul Burst on that guy? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah you stack the negatives to hit, and then all of a sudden your best unit just gets pulped. Yeah. Yeah, and then finally, shout out to the highest performing Xenos faction model, the only faction model that broke into the top well, twenty-five. We're not counting Dark Eldar Xenos. What happened there? Uh, anyway. uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Non Eldar yeah. Xenos yeah, for Strider. all you Tyranid Necron uh, the orc players. Uh, Real Dark So three factions in the game is yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Well, well, I like to think of the game as as three super factions, and then and the a bunch of random and the garbage, other factions, as you would that, call them. That, I like to think of it as Tau Eldar and everyone not worth playing. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so yeah, Darkstrider, 55.68% win rate. He wow. He was in, 
Uh, just give me a second to bring that up again. He's so good. He's extremely oh, he really good. He's I'm so just, good. I'm shocked that he pulls ahead of so many of the other good Tau units because Tau have a lot of really good units. Yeah, well, indeed. It's he was he was brought in like the bare minimum lists that I wanted to check. Fifteen. Um, okay. He had a, a list that brought him forty nine, thirty nine. Uh, yeah, I mean, eighty-eight games. He did very well. There, it's it's interesting that he didn't see more play, in my opinion, given that he's such a cheap HQ. It um, seems like an auto take, right? Like if yeah. you're playing Tau, like. But at the why same time, uh, with the decrease in broadside points, you saw a lot of people go Triptide <clears throat> and broadside. So you got to take your points away somewhere, I guess. Right? That'd be the, my assumption. Um, the issue I actually found running him myself, because I love that guy, but you only have so many HQ slots, and I find mm. I actually need two Cadre Fireblades to cover all my Fire Warrior gotcha. slots. So basically, it's a choice between a second one of him, or a second Fireblade and him, and a lot of times the Fireblade gets the nod, even though Dark Strider is really good. Well, the, I mean, the, all the little, like, movement tricks that he gives you, that's, that's yeah. the secret sauce, right? Like, if oh, you yeah. can avoid a critical charge or whatever... Yep, you, you could that could win you the game. Oh, and that plus yeah. one to wound is obviously fantastic. Like yes. that just makes things into a monster. <clears throat> so finally, and and it's okay if you don't have this, Peter. What Space Marine unit was the highest performer? This is just oh. for my own personal. I have that. I have okay. the best scouts. performer. It has to be scouts. Uh, I'm guessing Guillemin. Okay. I don't think uh, it was either of those. I think you're. Oh, well, really? what was what, in, what do you what, what do you Aaron Tyler's list? Ooh, um, I might guess the Repressor, or no, it's not going to appear in an off lists, is it? No, not the yeah, Repressor. It's, the it's problem, not the, Smash Captain, I guarantee the, the, it. The problem of the way you two are thinking is all the players are taking those, so the good yeah. and the bad players are both going to be contributing. Fair, fair enough, yeah. fair enough. I don't know what it is, but I don't think it's either of those. Peter, why don't you enlighten us? Okay, so if we don't count the Smash Captain, because I, I, I combined all of the Smash Captains to one I was more interested in. Oh, no, yeah. Um. No. Smash Captain was at 50.38% um, of win rate. It was the Scout Ooh. Squad. As, uh, Aha! Yeah, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> a perfectly even 50% win rate. Wow. Ooh, the Scout is the most tactically versatile. It's one of the best units in the game, period, oh, in my God, opinion. Oh, God, yeah. Now, it's so good. It does so much. Yeah. If you if you ignore my minimum of, like, 15 lists, um, the Venerable Chaplain Dreadnought showed up in three lists. There were four what? of them. And he had a seventy-two point two two percent. What? <laughs> the venerable chaplain dreadnought. What am I missing? Educate me. Like, what am I missing here? Uh, he, he, he was only in three lists. Like that. Was, oh, that yeah. yeah like, and he was in three lists. <laughs> but he also With can take a bunch of weird relic garbage to do all sorts of kooky stuff with him. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that was part of it. And I, I, I believe two of them were space wolves. Um, and like he was the one oh, of the two yeah. space wolf players that did well. So that helped, yeah. right? So. Okay, because he's basically old one eye. Yeah, I, I need to know, Vener- venerable chaplain dreadnought players, email me. FrontlineGamingPDPob yeah. at gmail.com. Teach me your ways. <laughs> me too, please. Like, what am I missing? <laughs> um, uh, it, I think oh, I think the, the, the thing you're missing is, you know, smashing on a guy in the three and two bracket. <laughs> no, no offense, dudes, but, like, yeah. that guy was clearly not making it into the finals. So, like, so. Andrew Dickinger brought two of them as Death Watch. So uh, that, that's oh, definitely part of it. Interesting. Interesting. 
Yeah. What war gear did he equip it with? I'm so curious now. Well, now you're gonna make me look up lists. Uh, I don't. Think no, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, I don't think he even has any if, options. Um, if Daniel Ye up... went five and one with the Space Wolves with it. Uh, he was the guy that wow. brought the the oh, the uh, yeah. Falchion. Uh, yeah, yeah. Super well, heavy. I think the Falchion might have had something to do with that. <laughs> I don't know. And then Oliver Byler uh, ran regular Space Marines, Ooh, and he brought Australia. Uh, he went three one and two. So, yeah, like three three lists that did uh, the, all of them with winning win rates. Uh, brought yeah. this okay, now i got to do some research because I am very curious. <laughs> yeah, and if you guys want to do your own research, uh, you can always subscribe to the Best Coast Pairings Player app, and you have access to all of the lists on the BCP app. I imagine a BCP app is going to be much more valuable coming into the new ITC season. So check that out. It's Finally. It's... It's five bucks okay. a month, guys. It's totally worth it. It's it, yeah. completely worth it. I you use get it access to run a to podcast. This vast database of knowledge. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Okay, finally, oh, we're almost there. <laughs> ITC player analysis. So this is we've talked about the factions, talked about the units. Oh, did we so, want to talk uh, about the Castlin real quick? I know everybody wants to talk about the Castlin. Or do you want to say? Is it good? Well, if I you, heard it's if good. If you want to, <laughs> <laughs> it um, may it may have done well. Hmm. Peter, is there anything do you think that that we haven't that you know that might be surprising about the Castellan? Well, let me talk. I'll talk super fast, and then people can slow down the recording and figure out what actually happened. (laughs) Okay. Um, So Castellan appeared um, eighty times in seventy nine lists. Average win rate of fifty six point zero nine percent. Fifty six of them were were run as House Raven. Um, The House Raven ones had a fifty nine point six percent win rate. If you didn't run it as House Raven, a forty eight percent win rate. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. So the 23 that tried other houses, most of them went Tyrannus to try and make him a zombie. Did not work out. Surprisingly, the best performing knight was not the it was not the Castellan. It was the knight, uh, Serastus Knight Lancer. S- six Blists brought it and had a 65% win rate. Um, where it had its biggest impact was with Guard. Um, guard with yeah. the Castellan had a, almost a 58% win rate, uh, 57.76, versus a, a flat 50% win rate without it. Um Interestingly enough, and here's the last bit of a of tidbit, Imperial Knights with a Castellan actually did worse than without. Mm-hmm. Barely, but yeah, it seemed like uh, they were at a 55.5% win rate if they ignored the Castellan, uh, 55.2 with a Castellan. That, that makes sense, actually. So so Nightless, I've noticed, um, with all the Nightless I've designed, it almost doesn't matter when it comes to a point what Knights you pick. As long as you pick, like, a knight gallant equivalent or a knight gallant, a shooty knight, whatever that shooty knight is, and then whatever else other knight you want, plus, you know, Astromaltarum or or whatever allies you want to add, they all the knight lists perform kind of the same. And I know knight players might fight me on this, but but fight <laughs> me back, guys. I've been playing this list for a lot longer than all of you have. You know, and this knight, the knight lists are, they just play the same, no matter no matter what relics you give them. Um, no, and this is just for pure so nightless. Not that's <laughs> that's true. Junior on my team, uh, he's switching to that exact uh, formation that you just described, Pablo. Like he's dropping the Helverin and all of his Death Company for the Crusader, because he's yeah, got Crusader's the Valiant, the Gallant, and the Crusader. Yeah. And that combo it's is the best. So good. Mm-hmm. Yep. I find that the Crusader never even gets. No one even bothers shooting it because they, they just can't. Yeah, yeah, even even castleless have a hard time killing one or or two knights before they get to you. And and the the secret sauce is is you you put one knight in their face and blow up and yep. kill all their stuff with all the mortal wounds, which yeah. is dumb. It's a stupid strategy, but that's really the only way that list 
cheats out wins against the best lists. And in my experience, other, the multi knight list defeats the single Castellan list. Yes, yes, it does. Unless you're playing Brandon Grant and you're me, then, well, <laughs> then you lose by like a few points. And Skynet will beat you with a couple of pieces of uh, bubble gum and like some <laughs> you know, loose change that he pulled yeah. out of his pocket. I'm yeah. quite sure. Um, and one other interesting factoid about knights in general: the Knight Warden actually was the third best performing knight of all the knights. Really? Get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. No. Wow. It had Warden's legit. It had uh I'll just pull it up again real quick. I believe it was almost a 55% win rate. Over a gallant? Yes. Yeah. Well, no, the gallant was number 2. It was the no, Serastus. The gallant is, is, is Wait, I sorry, no, not the gallant. Um sorry. The, I'm, the, I'm talking about the, the Castellan. La- yeah, the Lancer was 1, Castellan The Castellan was 2, two and then and the Warden then had a 55.09% win rate. Wow. Uh, the Gallant had a 52, 52%. Wow. Well, I, I guess I never over. would have guessed that. Yeah, yeah, the Warden actually had performed. And the Warden wasn't in a small amount of lists. It was in like 22 lists. Yeah, it's the lists. third most or fourth most knight. It's usually up there in terms of yeah, most was, picked knights. Were, there were 22 of them in 19 lists. So, do yeah. we know if they were taking the Relic uh, Gatling Cannon? Oh, that sure. I do not know because most people wouldn't include that in their list. Right, so, yeah. but it's so. so good. Gosh, it's it so is. good. Um, well, yeah. And it's the the thing to remember is like it gets it's got the best gun the rel, the the Gatling cannon right and then it's also got most of the melee options that the Gallant has it's not quite as good as a Gallant is but it's like eighty percent of the way there and it can squeeze somebody to death if you really want them to yes that's that's actually death a good point I, I played against nasty. a double a double warden list at a tournament a GT I don't know a couple months back and it was devastating the two of yep. them together it was so difficult to overcome it they clean up. Yeah, they do. So that's that's all I really wanted to say. I wanted to just make sure we got that in there because I know a lot of people are way more interested in the castle than anything else, regardless <laughs> of like how how much we talk about it. We could well, do a two-hour podcast about the castle and people would be like, I would like to hear more about it. So. The castle well, should come with a black cowboy hat that you have to put on <laughs> yeah. when you put it on the table. <laughs> and people would wear the black hat. I know I would. <laughs> yeah. I, you should definitely. get a little one that goes on the castle as well. Yeah. <laughs> But, but get, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Spurs to go with it too. Like I like this conversion now. You make me want to buy a Castellan. <laughs> so okay, so uh, let's go ahead and move on to players now. So um, this stat's pretty cool, and um, I know you wrote this out, Peter, but I kind of want to take the reins a little bit here. Um, you you tracked how the top, so all the players that were in the top 150 in the ITC, out of all of them, 84 of them showed up at the Las Vegas Open, which is actually a lot. That's a, that's a really big number. Um, the, you tracked their win rate and their stats across the tournament, and they had a combined win rate of 70%, which is higher than Inari as, as a combined faction. It means that your top 150 ITC players were were truly the best at the tournament. They were in the top 70%. Um, 31 of them were in the top 10% bracket at the end of the event. And if you remember, there were 690-ish players. So your top 10% bracket is 5 and 1 or better. So 30, 31 or roughly 1 in every 5 players in the top 150 went you know, 5 and 1 or better at the Las Vegas Open, which is incredible. Um, and then four were within 10 spots of, wh- when you mean 10 spots of it, do you mean like 10 spots of, of the top tables or top eight? Of the top oh, 10%. Oh, right? oh, four more were in the, yeah, within 10 spots of being in the top 10%. Okay. So yeah, so in the top, say 76 players at the tournament, there were 30, 35 of them were from the top 150 at, uh, at ITC. And that is with only 84 of them showing up, right? So there were 66 guys that couldn't make it either because they were from overseas or whatnot. Right. Um, 
Yeah. So almost half of them made the top 10%. Exactly. And, yeah. and, uh, jockeys, not horses. Yeah, exactly. It's a big deal. And, uh, their breakdown, I mean, other than Blood Angels, they brought everything. Yeah. These, these are the best, these are the creme de la creme of their factions playing their hearts out, not only for, not only for the best in faction, but for winning the event. Because I feel like the real big drive at, for having such a big event is a player performing and making the top eight with a unique list, kind of like what Mark Wright did last year with his Blood Angels, uh, and this year with Will Abilese making the top eight with his kind of unique Tau list. Not he didn't rewrite the wheel or anything, but he brought Anchi. Mm. That's cool. That's it is cool. It's, it's different. He, he did, did bring brought crew. Yeah. He he did he did bring his own spicy flavor of Tau. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other the other crazy thing is the rest of the field. So so basically the other six hundred plus players performed at a forty nine point six eight win percentage, which is win expected, rate. right? You want you'd yeah. expect it to be close to fifty. Um, yeah. Once you pull out, you know, eighty. But Peter, can I ask you a quick question? Um, Correct. Yes. What, what does the blue and the orange bar represent? On Sorry. The yeah. So the blue in this graph that you guys are looking at, which the people cannot see, the blue is the primary factions. So that's what they brought as their primary. The orange is if they had, a, if they were brought as a secondary detachment. Um, so the only factions, the only codex factions that didn't have somebody from the top 150 uh, bring a list were Grey Knights, which had, had no primary or secondary, and yeah. Blood Angels, which did have, um, uh, I believe it was uh, eight people brought a Blood Angel secondary from the top 150, but no one brought them as a primary. I wonder if it was Smash Captain and Scouts. It generally was. <laughs> you should not be surprised. Um, I'm surprised. So Shocking. There was a death of Mephiston. I will say that. Mephiston used to be almost up there with Smash Captains, and I believe oh. only three or four he, people brought him to he the got, He went up in points in Chapter 4. Exactly. That's he went up 15 why. points, and that's just too much for people. Yeah, yeah, you're paying thirty five over a smash captain. That's a lot to ask. Yep, it's true. Uh, he's he gives a lot over a smash. Anyways, I've got a love affair with him. But um, it, he's cool. <laughs> when he's... you when you talk about or when you, when I'm looking at the dark Eldar and the craft world Eldar stats, um, is that twenty five percent? Is that does that really mean that a quarter of the field had a dark Eldar secondary detachment? Um, yes. So at least oh a quarter gosh. of the the top. 84 players, like, uh, from IT. Agents of Act, baby. Brought it's Drukari. that good. Yeah, yeah 80, or Prophets or, of Flesh. Both are Prophets. awesome, or yeah. both. Yeah, <laughs> like, so good. So 50% of the top, the top 60, or 50% of, of those players brought Craftworld, brought Farseers and Vect, essentially. Well, well, there's going to be some crossover there, right? So right, they could have brought a You're secondary right. of Jukari and Asuriani, but regardless, yeah, <laughs> a crazy. very large portion. And this was something Val and I had talked about. Was it, it after I saw this, my kind of predictions for who would be in the top eight changed, um, just based off this stuff alone. It was it, it was Eldar's um, Eldar's tournament to lose, in my opinion, given you know who was bringing what. It's the Eldar just as a whole are so in. Incredibly good. Like Harlequins yeah. are a bit behind the rest of them, but Dark Eldar, one of the strongest single faction books, even ignoring its allies. Yanari, easily the single strongest faction. There's just there's so much powerful stuff there. And Craft Worlds is unbelievably strong. The it's only so reason good. why the it's, only reason why people don't play more of them is because you can play them as a Nari and just make them better, right? Like that's yeah, Nari yeah. is ridiculous. But like you could close your eyes, throw a dart at the the Eldar book, 
pick that mm-hmm. unit and it's going to perform well on the tabletop. Yeah. Like I yeah. don't, there's not very many, like maybe one unit that I can think of off the top of my head that I, even that one, I, I'd probably I, still play I think it. there are three units in the Eldar Craft World book that I have not at least considered taking in a list at some point, And even those three are still better than most units in most books. Yeah. They'd be outstanding. And like the Night Spinner, which I think is the weakest unit in the Eldar yeah. book. I could, you put that in another army and it's totally viable. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. So, so, uh, super cool. Um, next year, I'd love to see that 84 players jump up to over the hundreds. Um, <laughs> if we can, um, <clears throat> I know it's but, tough. I know it's difficult to make it out to the Las Vegas open. Good Reese. I was just going to say the thing that, that, that I'm most excited about this stat is that it finally quantifiably, puts to rest the idiot argument that the game is based on writing a list over player skill, right? And I know that this data is only going to be compounded and reinforced as we go. The top players win with pretty much whatever army they choose to win with. Like, this this, this just proves it. Like, you can't just take a net list and go win. You have yeah. to practice. Yeah. Although, let's also be fair, good players bring good lists. Yes, yes. It, it, it um, but they're not self- always going to be the same list. Like they will. It, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy for sure. I, I yeah. agree with you. Uh, so because like you do get guys like Sean Naden who bring just absolutely bizarre stuff, but he knows what he's doing when he brings that list. Like he pulls it together. Yeah. Player skill is the single most powerful determinant. Yep. In victory. Yep. Like yes, it, that that is factual, right? Like the, oh. that, and now we have data that we can look at and go, yeah, if I practice. I'll win more. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And I'll yeah. I'll bet on a good player with a bad list over a bad player with a good list any day. Absolutely. Any day. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Which is why it's important to listen to this podcast. This <laughs> competitive 40K podcast, Chapter yeah. Tactics. P- <laughs> it, Peter, you have the stats on how much listening to Chapter Tactics ups your win percentage, right? It's, uh, it's, it's, Pablo uh, said not to talk about it. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's uh, we're, uh, we're not allowed to tell you that it ups your win percentage by a straight 10 points after the first episode, but you can guess. It you, also you know, makes I, you more handsome. I will yes. say that <laughs> Oh, that's that, true for um, sure. Yeah. 7 or, or I'm sorry, 4 out of the 8 players in the top 8 have been on a chapter tactics episode. Mm-hmm. And I I hope I'm throwing this number out there. All eight have listened to a Chapter Tactics episode. <laughs> Therefore, if you listen to a Chapter Tactics episode, you'll you make have top a eight 100% at LBO. chance of yeah, you're making guaranteed the top eight at LBO. to make top eight. Yeah, boom. I think That's the takeaway, though, is if you educate yourself, yes. you're going to get better at the game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and for sure. Chapter Tactics isn't the only competitive 40K podcast out there. You've got tons of other good podcasts you have in the finest hour, best in faction. TFG Radio, sometimes signals from the front line. <laughs> <laughs> Harsh. Uh, the, the, Scaredcast. Yeah, so Scaredcast. There's tons talk of them. There's, there's a lot of them. Right. And one day I will have that awesome podcast episode where I, where I pump up all those podcasts, but that's not going to be today. It's just the, two the hours point of is, you reading a list. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing else. It, it's just, it's, the point is, is that if you want to get better at the game, Listen to these podcasts and um, educate yourself, like everyone said. You can maybe be one of these top 150. And, also, and, if you... No, go ahead, I was going to say, and like Reese has said several times, practice, get in those reps. That mm. really makes a difference. Yep. And go to Daka Daka and look at what everyone's uh, saying. Uh, and don't do that. Peter, Just no. do the opposite. Wait, let me finish. Okay. Let me finish. Right. Let me finish. Yep. 
It's like, go to that Dr. Dr. Pull that the top 10 heart. and then that, don't do what they say. That <laughs> used to be the place that you went as a, a, a competitive player. For sure. It was the only place. I, was, yeah. I wasn't I was in a place to be competitive, and I still went there to read uh, all the complaints. But yeah. we still at least that got used what was to supposed to happen. That used to be the only place, and then the blogosphere exploded, and all of a sudden... And now everyone and his dog has a podcast. I mean, my mom podca- yeah. podcasts about 40K now. <laughs> um, <laughs> really? So, What's uh, the address? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm interested in hearing this. <laughs> I'm the, so, the the mama of the falcon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, I think this is a great time to end the episode on. Thank you very much, guys, for coming on. Reese, Sean, and the falcon. If you are listening to, to this episode and you'd like another place to talk about awesome tactics with everyone, join our Patreon where the new Chapter Tactics Facebook group is popping. Uh, people are asking more and more questions. Hopefully after this episode, we'll get some more people in the Facebook group uh, where we can talk about lists, strategy. You can talk to any of the co-hosts, Jeff, Val, Sean, Peter. Get their input. Uh, obviously, they're not always there 24-7. Um, but it, that is where they are hanging out more and more. So if you mm-hmm. want to talk to them there. Also, you can still get that awesome, exclusive Forge World Sanguinous model if you become a standard patron for Chapter Sanguinous. Tactics. Sanguinous. Sanguinous. You, you know what I mean, guys. It doesn't uh, rhyme with penis is the whole problem <gasps> I have with this. Anyway, oh, I know that's not true. <laughs> Sanguinous. Sanguinous model. Uh, if you want to win that, that'll be I'll, I'll announce the winner of that giveaway uh, at the end of the month. So go ahead and check that out. Also, don't forget to go to FrontlineGaming.org where you can purchase all the good Games Workshop products like those Infantry Squads and Knight Castellans so you can win games. Go to the secondhand store if you don't want to spend as much money. And, of course, check out In the Finest Hour in Control TV and 40kstats.com for more good 40k content. Thanks so much for everyone listening to Chapter Tactics. You guys, the love and support that not only that I had, but also Reese had at Las Vegas Open, uh, I, I think Reese would agree was very humbling and is always very humbling. Um, and this community is the best community that I've ever been a part of. And I'd just like to give a little hint before we go, a little teaser. I have some big plans and work to give back to the community in a big way. I'm really excited. I can't say anything yet, um, but you guys are awesome. And I look forward to making more awesome content for you guys. Uh, thank you very much and have a good one. Bye bye. Thanks for having us.